Welcome to SkyCast episode 30, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing the season 6 premiere, Sanctum. So, what what do you feel about this episode? Well, I mean about this episode, I feel great about this season. Very excited. We're back, guys. We are back. And not only are we back... But we've already been renewed for a season seven. So we have indeed. You have two more seasons of Brit and Sarah in your ear coming up. Get excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I thought this episode was a really great opener. And um, I'm so excited to see what's coming next. I mean, we kind of, I think, knew a lot of what was going to happen in this episode um, because I think that was a big part of what the trailer focused on. Yeah. Um, but there were still a few surprises, and I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, there really, were, there really... were some big surprises, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but same, I, I was thrilled with this episode. Um, I think it, it delivered on what I hoped it would do, and then exceeded my expectations. So. Yeah, I mean, I think this is setting up a good season in the way that we didn't get last season, which is characters talking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was just, it was like, it was a little bit in this episode, but I can already see them moving toward a more, um, you know, just a more like a quieter emotional season. Fingers crossed that that stays that way. I'm not sure if quieter is the right word, but more, more reflective for sure. Just not like, I don't need as many like crazy plot twists, blah, blah, blah. I I think it would be nice if we, I mean, we we have to keep up the action, sure. But I think it's more important to really get in the character stuff. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so I did want to touch on some overall thoughts just moving forward um, into this season. Things that, that um, we wanted to touch on briefly that I think are going to be important to keep our minds on for the rest of the season. Um, so the first, and most of these we've already talked about from the trailer, but I think it's more evident than ever from this first episode. Um, so the first one I wanted to talk about is the new aesthetic. I think... Making this new planet or moon look different from what we've seen before is important, but more than anything, they have like new camera techniques that they've been employing. They have new filters, they've got new shots, they've got new lenses. There's like a whole new array of um, filming techniques that they're starting to employ with this new season as just like a mood changer, tone changer, setting changer. And I thought that was really clever and interesting and it's something to pay attention to um, because I think when they get really fancy with their camera stuff is is usually probably when something interesting or new is about to happen um, to denote that kind of stuff. Sure. I have no thoughts on camera techniques. I, that's something I don't notice at all. It's something that I notice every time. <laughs> they And I'll talk about it later in the episode, like when there's like really specific stuff that we've never seen before that mm-hmm. they're starting to use. Um, other things that I wanted to talk about... This episode was very light in in tone. Like there was humor, there were <laughs> moments of just pure characterness. Um, it, and it was just like it it felt like a weight had been lifted from our shoulders. Um, I know there's a lot going on, and that you know there's going to be a lot of drama and um heavy stuff that we're gonna need to parse out this season. But just from a tonal perspective, I think this it feels lighter like the burden part of the burden has been lifted I'm not entirely sure I agree I think that I think there was definitely more humor I still think there's a lot of heaviness that we need to deal with but you know it's the first episode so I think the first episodes 
always tend to be like a little bit lighter because they're just setting stuff up. Yeah. Um, but maybe, I mean, they've said that this whole season's supposed to be, it's supposed to have a more hopeful tone overall. Yes. So I'm, I could see this like lightness continuing throughout yeah. the season. I, I think so. Just in, in terms of like what they choose to include and what they choose to exclude, like just from the last several episodes of season five, I mean, they were so heavy and like overwhelmingly downtrodden. Well, season five. <laughs> That's what I'm saying though. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge season five was huge tonal shift from that. Um, like overwhelmingly so yeah so that that's also something that I'm enjoying as well and I think that it's going to continue as you said it's part of like what the writers have been saying this is supposed to be more hopeful mm-hmm. more you know um optimistic tone throughout the season and then the last thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit is um just that you know like Sarah you were saying that the characters are have been sort of tasked from the writers to do some reflection. You know, this is like time to sit down and get in touch with your feelings. And I also think that the writers are doing that too. I mean, like you can tell that this is a fresh start for the writers. They have a whole new team. They're like fresh out the gate. They don't have all this baggage from the last five seasons and everything just feels very new and fresh. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, guys, how much I love characters just calling each other out for their shit. And I can say shit now because I have changed our rating from clean lyrics to explicit just because we don't really follow the clean lyrics anyway. So I don't feel bad saying it, but I love seeing characters called out. And I mean, I I do wonder if Clark might be called out a little bit, not too much, but just she's being called out when other characters aren't. We've had this discussion, um, but she was called out a lot this episode. Um, But it's also giving them all the chance to like have these discussions instead of keeping their emotions like buried deep in their anger just kind of boiling under the surface Mm -hmm. I like I like seeing it all out in the open yeah and that's something that I think the writers of the past have been reluctant to get into just because of service to the plot and I think that this new age you know is trying to balance that more yeah evenly so I'm very personally very excited about that Mm -hmm. and kudos to this writing team out the gate Excellent. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into the recap, um, as always, we'd like to remind you to go and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 come and find us. So please go do that. Take a second, rate, review us, do whatever you want. And um, yeah, okay, so let's get back into the recap. Let's start. Let's start season one, the recap. Or season six, episode one. It does kind of feel like season it, it, one. I mean, like it's like book book one. Book or one. Book, no, sorry, book two after book one. <laughs> this show guys (laughs) um so the first thing we obviously get is a new title sequence which we kind of thought we would it wouldn't have made any sense if it was still on earth sure um but that was really exciting for me i loved seeing kind of some new motifs oh yeah definitely i mean there are a few details i mean like i know we have like tons to talk about here but just some things that i wanted to bring up um to pay attention to is there's like a and obviously we we understand why by the end of this episode 
there's a big insect motif happening throughout this. Um, it's like the drone buzzing noise, but is also can be interpreted and I think is like doubled over with like an insect buzzing noise, um, which I think is really cool. Um, the swirly do is super noticeable um, from multiple angles and shots up here. So obviously this is going to play a big significant role this season and we'll get into it more when that happens. I have two questions with this. Yeah. Does the swirly do move? The green swirly do, like, is it like isolated in this one area or is it something that like moves around? We I mean, will have to find out. I know. That's kind of like yeah. something just to keep in mind as we're going forward. Um, because I really am curious. Well, I think we have a lot to talk about with the swirly do. So let's like, well, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I, I, that was just like a, a general question for yeah. this. Well, my other general question is, is the swirly do sentient? And I think, well, that, yes, we talked about yeah. that too. So, um, my second question, or this was actually more of a statement, is with all the insects and the buzzing noises, I saw an interview with Jason uh, Rothenberg, and he had said that, like, if if uh, the Allegis team hadn't come to this planet, this planet really never should have developed life beyond, like, insect and plant life, because, mm-hmm. and we'll get into this more later, but because of the way that the eclipses, like, make everything go crazy and kill each other, they just never get really the chance to evolve past that. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like this vicious circle that they're caught in. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, when the Allegis people come on, I'm guessing that shakes some stuff up. But, like, um, everywhere else, humans yeah. shake up the natural <laughs> order of things. Um, another Disrupting thing I- life. <laughs> yeah, another thing I wanted to call out was in the original credits um, from the last seasons the perspective of the credits were from Allie's drones mm-hmm. and these do have a very similar vibe like there's something that's kind of like taking measurements and like pointing out things but I don't think they're Allie's drones anymore I wouldn't like bet Roll my it life out, yeah. on it <laughs> yeah just given some Becca callbacks we got in this episode um, but I'm, ju- I'm just curious what is this new visual technique that they're using and how does it relate to what's going to happen this absolutely season? I was thinking the same thing and I'm really excited because it took two seasons three really three seasons to fully understand that those were the perspectives of the drones mm-hmm. Ali's drones yeah. um, and I remember we were so excited when we finally were like oh my god they planted these seeds like in season one and we had no idea so if it takes them a little while to reveal to us where these where this footage is coming from I'm okay with that but it is really cool to think about yeah Agreed. Um, another part of the title sequence is there's this one part of the map that's labeled anomaly and then it kind of like fades out from what was a forest to what looks like a desert and I have no idea what that means but um, excited to find out. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then one more thing, uh, there's something called Riker's Keep which is near the perimeter of the radiation fence, the fence that surrounds Sanctum or this like civilization. Um and we haven't seen that yet and I don't really know what that means there were a lot of like labels in the trailer or in the title sequence that I couldn't read because they were like kind of blurry but Riker's Keep was one that was um clear very clear and it makes me wonder too are they going to unblur some of these things the further on we get in this season yeah it's interesting to think about or is it more of just like a visualization yeah Yeah. don't know so uh, let's get started. So we open up on a new planet with two suns. We hear Monty's monologue from the end of last season playing over the radio, and we zoom in on the Allegia ship to see that all of Sky Crew is listening. Uh, Clark tells them all that they survived because of Monty, and Abby says they can now get their humanity back. Raven shoots back that some of them never lost their humanity, and then she leaves the room. So just 
first off, it was really interesting to watch all of their facial expressions as the camera kind of pans around as they all realize, you know, Monty and Harper are dead and they're at this new planet. Like, it's obviously a big change from what they went to sleep. Yeah, it's um, a lot to take in. So I was a little surprised by some of the reactions. Echo, I thought, was had a really powerfully sad look on her face. Yeah. And I did see um, an interview with Tazia Tellies and she... Uh, had said that Echo was supposed to have, like, she was supposed to be blank of expression, but Tazi Tellies was so just filled with emotion in this scene that she kept crying when she wasn't supposed to, so they kept having to, like, reshoot her. So I think that is partially Tazi Tellies kind of bringing her own interpretation to Echo in here, and I actually think it's better than Echo being completely emotionless because Echo had a very small family that she cared about, and now two of them are gone. I agree. I think that makes perfect sense. And I pretty much, Tazi Tellies has like the be all end all, you know, she is the echo Bible in my opinion. Yeah. So. Agreed. She's so smart with her, with her echo, um, internal canon. Yeah. That I just, I think she's wonderful. Yeah. She is everything she says goes for me. So um, I agree with her. Amori though, I thought looked weirdly unaffected. Like she looked like so in awe of this planet. And I was a little surprised that she didn't look at least a bit sadder that Monty and Harper were dead. Um, but maybe that was just like a weird moment we caught her. You yeah, know? I think it could be a weird moment. You know, I think there are a lot of characters that they're keeping track of in this shot that I think, you know, maybe Amori was not maybe who they were like keenly focused on but I also feel like if you want to get like in universe canon about it you could maybe make the leap that she handles grief very differently than everyone else given her trauma and um there's a lot to process happening right here and the idea of a new planet and starting over would be very exciting for her and also her slitherinness I think she tends to be more practical than emotional so you know compartmentalizing that in this moment could make sense in character for her I don't know we could we could discuss this till kingdom come I think on a on like a most basic level you know technical level they probably just didn't wasn't paying attention to her face well I mean I would think that echo is actually usually more um stoic and you mean Amori no I think echo is more stoic and I think Amori um I I don't think she's like emotions on her sleeve kind of person but I do think she's a lot more clear with her emotions and I personally think it was odd that she didn't show a little bit more sadness or depression and I I mean like I get that she's excited and I do get that like they had to focus on a lot of characters but all of these actors were given specific um, uh, instructions instructions on how to proceed and so I was just curious what instructions they gave um what's her name what's the actress's name louisa louisa uh, yeah yeah yeah. what instructors instructions they gave her um that made her look so much in awe and not anything else yeah yeah i think it's a good question i don't know that there was like really any real intention behind it but we'll see there should always be intention i agree sometimes (laughs) they make mistakes that's true I also think it's really interesting to think about who the writers chose to wake up here. Um, we just watched Endgame recently. And no I, spoilers. No, no spoilers. And <laughs> I was reading an interview that the Russo brothers gave about, you know, the end of Infinity War. And basically, they got to choose who they dusted and who they kept alive. Um, 
and how that was going to work out in the Endgame movie. And I think that if you apply that same concept here, like it's interesting to think about who they decided to wake up, who they chose to keep sleeping, that interplay between how that works with character development and also plot service as well. Um, you know, I think if you think about like Gaia, um, Octavia, Dioza. Dioza, all of these guys who they chose to keep, Maddie, they kept them all sleeping. And even Jackson at some point, you know, they didn't wake him up until later and Miller as well. You know, I think it's just an interesting thing to like, you know, a little game to play of like, how does this work um, in character? Like, why are these decisions being made? And then also, why are the writers picking, you know, handpicking these characters to keep stay awake? And what does that mean for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, we had talked about how we weren't sure how they were going to work Octavia waking up into this because it doesn't make any sense to us that the characters would choose to wake her up. Um, and they didn't. And so I loved seeing what they actually did in this episode with having Nyla wake her up. It just, it made a lot of sense, but then also kept that like um, reality there for the characters. They don't actually want to deal with Octavia. Yeah, yet. no, it was very <laughs> brilliant. Uh, I also really don't want to ever hear the line, we'll get our humanity back ever again. I'm done with this. Yeah, it's really overplayed, especially when, you know, it's Abby and Kane, or Kane saying it, because I think they've said it so many times at this point that it's just empty. You know, there's no real, you know, I, I it rings very hollow. Yeah. And especially when you think about, like, you know, Shaw's, preaching at one point in this episode about how gestures actions speak louder than words and it's like how many times do you have to say this over and over again before you actually do something about it um so especially with abby like more than any other character it's just like please don't ever talk about this abby no really kane really kane but um abby secondary I, i don't want to hear either of them talk about this ever again um, and then just one more note here that Raven is still clearly upset with Abby. Uh, if you remember from last season, Abby tortured her when she was in the midst of her addiction uh, with the shock collar. And they have not made up since then, you know, obviously. Uh, so I liked getting that little call back here that 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 is still not OK between them. <laughs> yeah, no, I love the continuity. It works really well. So Shaw chases Raven down, and when Raven says she's angry that Monty and Harper left them, Shaw says they chose to spend a lifetime alone with someone they loved, which sounds good to him. With that, Raven kisses him, and they have sex. Later, post-coital, Shaw tells Raven that everyone thought he was crazy when he took the original Legius job, but if they offered it to him today, he wouldn't take it because of her. And I just want to note, guys, for the rest of this episode, that I still have a really hard time calling Zeke, or calling, (laughs) exactly, calling Shaw, no, Calling Zeke, I have a hard time calling him Shaw (laughs) because I want to call him Zeke. Like when I was writing these show notes, I would call him Zeke every time and then I have to go back and change it to Shaw. I don't know why. We've had a whole season of him being Shaw, but I still cannot. It does not compute. (laughs) Same. My like default setting is always going to be Zeke. I can't get it out of my head. It's stuck there. I mean, luckily we might not have to deal with it too much after this episode. Nope. I would say we're done with that. I don't know if that's luckily, but you know, that's the, that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just wanted to mention that I, okay. So last season with the Shaw and Raven (laughs) of it all, I was okay with it. And I felt better about it because I thought that even though they were rushing things they were going to have the rest of this season to sort of slow down and romance it a little bit more and build up to a satisfying relationship Um, but I weirdly feel like 
they have even less chemistry now than they did before and I don't know if that's because he's leaving the show and the actors are just kind of like over it or if there's something else going on but it felt this this whole scene felt really weird to me and rushed and out of place and I know that he's going to die and so they may wanted to give them this moment you know before that happens but it it didn't work for me it's also weird that question of like should you let them have sex and then kill one of them? Like, what is better, letting them have that moment and then killing one and basically, like, saying, you know, something about sex and interracial relationships or things like that? Or is it better to, like, at least give them that that moment or, or not give them that moment and then kill? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think for me personally, I would have rather, I think it would have been more interesting for them not to have, like, been able to consummate and for the question of, like, what if this could have been and what that does you know is something that we haven't explored yet for Raven um but oh well I mean it's nice that Raven got a little moment to be happy um but I I do agree you know I talked about it a lot last season too I felt their relationship was very rushed and the only reason I was really on board with it was because it was making Raven happy and I was like if Raven's happy fine whatever yeah um but I was never like truly into it which is odd for me because I ship a lot of stuff yeah no I I really feel like it comes down to like actor actor chemistry I just don't think they have it I agree unfortunately I agree um I also think Raven is really taking Monty and Harper leaving personally which I think the more at first I was surprised because everyone else didn't seem to feel that way um they kind of saw it as like Monty and Harper making a sacrifice for them Mm -hmm. whereas like Raven's like they left me Mm -hmm. and the more I thought about it the more I'm like oh this really does relate to her backstory about you know her issues with her mom and then Finn leaving her for Clark and then Finn dying and then back in the Wick days remember those the very brief Wick days Mm -hmm. um at the end of season two Raven like broke her leg and she was like Wick don't leave me and he was like I will never leave you and then he was gone the next season (laughs) and you know Abby screwing her over last season so so Raven really has this like deep-seated trauma about people leaving her people like choosing others aside from her and I, I liked that they kind of called back to that here because yeah. um, I hadn't remembered that. And this made me remember all of those Absolutely. characters. Absolutely. I think that's a really great Points. point. And it makes a lot of sense. And then one more thing here, guys. Uh, we get our first Becca mention of the episode. We get two of them this episode. But um, this one is Raven tells Shaw that Becca did the coding for the Allegius mission when she was 18. And then Shaw says that he had actually met Becca and that Raven actually reminds him a lot of Becca and this moment was really weird to me because it did not fit into the scene at all it was like they had sex and then immediately she was like oh hey Shaw guess what Becca did the coding for the Alicia ship <laughs> yeah I think they needed to get this in here somewhere and oh, this yeah. was the only place to put it but it did not work absolutely they, they just wanted to remind us that Becca's a thing she's still a thing even now even though it's been seasoned since we've really you know gotten to interact with her yeah I mean, if I'm being honest, like this, this part of the scene was the best part of the scene yeah. for me. Because it called back to, uh, to Becca and eventually my guy Cadigan. And I really, well, <laughs> yes, that too. But I also really like the, you know, comparison between Becca and Raven. I think it's really apt. I do. And I, I mean, Raven has that interesting relationship with Becca because when she had Allie in her head. Well, Allie slash Becca in the fourth season, it was like both an interplay of them. Um, but really, we saw Becca more. 
I think because they were in Becca's labs, that was what Raven was projecting. And I think just kind of seeing that and then, you know, Becca, or then Raven choosing not to kill herself, I think has connected her with Becca in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, that works for me. I'm, I'm ready for more. The more rest Becca. of that scene did not. <laughs> Clark heads into the mess hall where Jordan is handing out algae to eat that has been preserved for them all by Monty. When Bellamy asks Clark if she's seen Raven and Shaw, Amori reminds her that, you know, she let Raven get tortured. Murphy says that's a Tuesday for Clark, but Echo defends Clark, saying she did the right thing in the end. I love seeing these small aspects of Monty and Harper's personality expressed in Jordan, like his dad humor <laughs> that comes out. I I love it. You know, it, it makes sense, obviously, because they're his parents. And yeah. I, I mean, it's nice that be, since we don't get to have them on screen, that they are still present in some way um, and that we can remember them, you know, through Jordan being you know, having the same, you know, <laughs> body language and humor as his parents. It's very sweet. I loved it. It is very sweet. And yet he has like something special in and of himself that I weirdly feel like we could instantly recognize from the end of last season. Like we have such this like fully formed view of this character in a weird way, even though we've barely seen any of him. But yeah. as of this episode, it's still not changing my mind about this, you know, character idea that we have of him. So I, I love that yeah, he's no, so I, distinct. I mean, I think if you were going to do like a, an M plus H equals J. Um, get it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it would look like this. Um, so the, if, it's, if he's going to follow the formula, like this is the formula we would have picked for him. Yeah. You know? So he could he could surprise us later, but <laughs> so far it's exactly what I wanted or expected, uh, which is nice. Yeah. Um, also, I just wanted to say at first thought, or at first I thought Abby's refusal to eat was a regression, like back into her like depressed state. And I just want to say, like, thank God that is not the case because I don't think I could have handled it anymore. So no. I'm glad that they just did not hit, do it. Just like a like, thank you, writers, for not going there. I I agree. I'm glad that Abby still seems to. In be control. dedicated to getting better in control um, of her and just talking about eating there reminded me of the fact that poor jordan has never eaten anything else but algae in his life and i cannot wait for it to like blow his mind when he tastes real food for the first time i know it's gonna be so wonderful <laughs> and also it's just like a really visceral experience for us as the viewer yeah can't wait i i hope it's something good that he tastes for the first time and not something gross <laughs> like panther meat from like season panther one meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so this is really our first time seeing Clark's friends' anger toward her. Um, we didn't get that a lot at the end of last season because it was so rushed with them, like, getting onto the ship and then, like, deciding to go into cryo. So I, I like that they are now taking the time to establish that, like, these people are pissed at her for, you know, honestly a good reason, a lot of them. So. Yeah, yeah. And the writers, you know, it's, it's, it's twofold, right? It's the writers establishing that these guys are pissed at her for valid reasons and also that Clark is the one who's going to have to earn her way back into the group you know with specific cases like with Bellamy and with Raven and Shaw and others um but also the collective group and their collective approval of her and acceptance of her and I like that this right off the bat that they're setting up this dynamic of like Clark having to earn her way back and setting it up so that the hopefully 
by the end of the season or before the end of the season like that's something that will be achieved yeah i i remember um when they showed the episode the first episode at was it WonderCon, whatever con it was yeah. they they showed the first episode um eliza taylor had watched it and she made the comment of like oh wow i forgot how mad they all were at me at the beginning of the season so that kind of leads us to believe that they will come around eventually there will, it will be resolved there will be then. a thaw <laughs> <laughs> general thawing out <laughs> yeah um, I, I am excited really though to see I don't know if excited is the right word but I, I like seeing Murphy's anger toward her because Murphy's anger always feels so cutting like he knows exactly what to say to like get under your skin yeah it's his superpower yeah it's, a, it's a survival skill he's developed since infancy it is his his dark superpower um, and we've heard that Clark and Murphy are going to be appearing this season so I'm really excited and even you know going forward in this episode really excited to see those two kind of spar <laughs> yeah I think you know when we can get into this more later it, it's it takes a lot for Clark to defend herself and it really is that special nitpicking thing that Murphy does that it, it motivates her to, to fight back yeah and so I think that's what's going to be the most interesting thing to watch because besides Murphy I don't think anybody gets under her skin like he does well I don't think anyone makes her want to defend herself except for Murphy yeah I think Murphy's just like constant needling makes her lash out in a way that like her other friends she just tends to take their anger and like absorb it and not do anything with it um so I I like and I mean we'll get into this later but I I just like the way that Clark and Murphy spar off um and then last of course I guys I know I've talked last season about how much I liked what they did with Echo. I love her. And <laughs> anyone who doesn't love her probably should just not listen to us because I'm probably going to be loving her for a while. Yeah, now. she's fantastic. I love that Echo is the one who defends Clark, basically being like, you know, she made a mistake, but she owned up to it. She corrected it and we moved on. And Echo's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm good with her. And I just, I love that Clark has this like unexpected ally in Echo um, because I, you know, Echo has also done a lot of really horrible things in her past for the people that she loves. And I think that she more so than anyone can really understand where Clark was coming from. So like, even if she didn't agree with it, she, she understood it. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's interesting, you know, I think it's also an extension of her relationship with Bellamy. I think Bellamy's unconditional love for Clark somehow and in a little bit has seeped into Echo. And I think Echo also feels you know in a way that Bellamy relates to her I think that has affected the way that Echo also relates back to her I think they Echo considers her and Bellamy a unit and and that's part of it and I I think it's beautiful I do too (laughs) it's lovely (laughs) why don't they all three just get together I'm not I would not be opposed to that So Abby doesn't want to eat. She wants something to put Kane under so she can operate on him. Jordan gives her Monty's first culture of algae, which is what Bellamy did or used on Octavia last season. Abby goes off to wake Nyla to assist her with his surgery, and she tells Clark to take Jackson with them on the planet expedition. So, you know, first off, I just love knowing that Monty had prepared all of this stuff in advance. You know, like, he just, like, lovingly made them all their little first meals, and then he just went off to die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do think it's interesting that he prepared the algaes, like, specifically for Kane, but... I mean, he must have suspected that they were going to need more than one dose of anesthesia. I I, I don't know if this was just, like, his optimism at play here, thinking they were going to do better and be better. 
but like accidents happen you need more and i just you know i don't know i thought that was funny like a little quirk he's like you get one shot yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i think maybe he was just being like here is your like starter kit you can grow more i'm only gonna leave you this for now (laughs) sourdough starter kit uh and then i also just love that it's like been sitting out for like decades (laughs) decades <laughs> yeah but it's like cheese it's, it's like, like it's like wine and more potent the longer it gets it better is. with age yeah. <laughs> so watching these early scenes it does seem to confirm that abby was never woken up to assist with anything with monty and harper and you know i think that's kind of wild but whatever i i just i don't think that's realistic they were on board the ship for I don't know, 70 years. Like, you're telling me they didn't once need a doctor. They had a baby. They had a kid who probably ran around and, like, broke things of himself. They had Harper dying of whatever disease she died of. I I just, I don't know. I think it's wild they didn't wake up Abby, but... I guess, just to play devil's advocate, like, I think they decided it was their choice to stay awake, and I don't know if they felt like they had the right to wake up somebody because they chose to stay awake. I just, like, don't see what the big deal would be. Wake her up. She can be up for, like, a day. And then just stick her back in. You know? It's it's pretty easy. Like, their cryogenetic sleeping chambers, you, like, instantly. They just, like, freeze over in your sleep. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I mean, maybe they just felt like that was, it wasn't their right. Well, I don't believe that. In, like, the real world, if this were actually happening, I realize this is a wild show. But if this were actually happening, that would not be a thing. <clears throat> okay. Well, I guess they disagree with you. Well, I disagree with the writers. Monty and Harper can't disagree with me at all because they're dead. So <laughs> Wow. Took a dark turn. Um, one thing I wanted to call out, which I just think is, like, an interesting thing to think about, is how Abby and Clark's relationship has changed. There are so many callbacks in this episode to the first episode in the first season and I think if you think back to the early days you know Clark and Abby really had these very traditional roles of mother and daughter and they were not blurry they were very distinct um and we've seen throughout the last five seasons and now going into six how blurry those lines have become and how those roles have really shifted I think um as Clark took on more and more of a leadership capacity and Abby was not able to cope with everything that she instigated and then onward um you know their relationship to each other and also there was a lot of anger there from the beginning and guilt and shame and everything else that goes along with <laughs> what happens when you float one of your one of your husbands and the father one of, of your, your ch- husband child well i'm considering <laughs> <I keep know. laughs> significant other um so you know there's just been like a lot of muddying of the waters here and i i do think it's interesting to watch clark now that she has maddie and is leaving her behind and is now in this mother role um and in the same position that abby was in when she sent clark to the ground it is so fascinating to think about how far we've come since the early season seasons and you know they are in a really good place right now and it's so nice to see them finally be okay and for abby to have all of this faith in clark um I do hope that sticks. I hope they stay in a good place and we can just move forward with them here. I feel like they should. You know, aside from like little quibbles about things, I really feel like they've kind of run their arc as mother and daughter. I agree. I think we've run the course here. And I also feel like we've got other things for Clark to deal with. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't have... Like being a mother. (laughs) we We don't need... We don't need the conflict with Abby. And I think that it makes sense, right? Because when the show started, Clark was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And that is a very 
normal idea to express and think about in a show is this teenage rebellion against your parent and coming into your own and becoming an adult and like dealing with identity and how you relate back to your parent now that clark is an adult has grown throughout this whole thing is a mother a parent herself you would expect her to have reconciled that already and to not we don't have that sort of tension there anymore that you would expect from like a teenage version of clark Yeah, I think there is a point in time where a lot of mother-daughter relationships switch from just mother-daughter to more like friends with some like mother-daughter benefits, you know? Um, And I think that Abby and Clark have really reached that. So I I hope that it sticks. Um, and then last off, I'm just really excited to have my girl Nyla in episode one. Just, you know, like proof that she's happy and healthy and like alive. Because, you know, who knows yeah. at this point? People just like disappear on this show. That's true. Remember Miller's ex-boyfriend? Oh, <laughs> just <yeah>. poof. <laughs> Brian? Brian, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Wick. Wick is also. Oh, Wick. Wick probably died in Prime Fire. Sorry, Wick. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I was really glad that they brought that in. And then also like. Guys, I keep saying that my Nyla Octavia ship is dead, and then it just, like, keeps reeling me back in. I mean, especially after this episode. This we'll, episode, We'll get yeah. into that later. <laughs> I loved it. So, um, a lot of Octavia Nyla feels. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, get ready for some exposition, guys. Hold on to your, hold on to your seats. Uh, Raven and Shaw come in, and Bellamy explains to the group what they know. So Allegius Three was a colonizing mission, and the mothership went through five planets that had the necessary conditions for life, dropping mission teams on each one. Monty picked planet Alpha for them because it was the closest and probably the most like Earth. Jordan says they can't actually scan the surface of the planet because Allegius' equipment isn't working, and he guesses it's because of interference from the ionosphere. Okay. But bottom line, according to Bellamy, is that they won't know if the ground is survivable until they get down there, which, as Clark notes, sounds a little familiar. It does indeed. Um, first off, I just, I just like have to ask, like, I love how everyone just assumes, including Bellamy, that he is in charge. Like, I literally thought to myself, like, who died and put you in charge? And then I said it out loud to you, and you were like, Monty. Monty did. <laughs> I love that. So I just <laughs> wanted to put that in here because I thought it was delightful. Monty literally died and, and told Bellamy Jordan to wake up Bellamy and Clark <laughs> first. And of course, this group is not going to listen to Clark right now. So Bellamy is the de facto leader, and plus. Plus, you know, most of them were there when they were on the the Ark, Ark. originally, yeah. and Bellamy was the leader on the Ark. So. Yeah, but again, it's like, who put you in charge? He just is in charge. Well, yeah, I mean, like, he's the one who's, I think, most capable of it, aside from Clark. No, I'm not questioning his leadership abilities. I just think it's funny. <laughs> um, but for me, first off, holy crap, what? Like, I'm sorry. Did you guys, like, listen to what I just said? Did you guys see that scene? They basically told us that there might be more livable planets out there with humans on them. Yeah. Four. Four other. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big surprise. I was not expecting that. And so like, I, I, I don't know if this is just supposed to be like a fun fact or if this is going to play any sort of role. I feel like it's more of like a backdoor option for them that they can play with if they need it in the future. <laughs> in case they blow up this planet. Again. Yeah, sure. <laughs> if they blow up this one too. They can just make their way through the, the other four planets after this. Yeah. <laughs> that should last them at least to the end of their lives, you know? Yeah. I don't know. They did, they did kill Earth in like six months. So, <laughs> Although to be fair, that wasn't them. They didn't do that. No, it was that Allie. was the nuclear. No, it wasn't Allie. It was the nuclear plants that, you know, all of a sudden all decided to blow up at the same time or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but it was because Al- Allie's like they were like degrading over time after Allie's 
ex- original explosion. Oh, well, I, yes, I guess you're right. Ali did, like, originally she destroy did the world. <laughs> that is true. Credit where credit is due. <laughs> it was her fault. Uh, Raven asks whether they're receiving any radio signals from the ground that would tell them the original Legius team survived, but there are none. Jordan says there's a frequency signal on the radar, which Shaw thinks might be a rescue beacon, which is something they used on Allegius 4. But since those beacons are solar powered, it doesn't actually mean anyone's still alive down there. Jordan thinks it's been about 200 years since the original Legius team landed, which Murphy points out is a hell of a long time to wait to be rescued. Very, very true. And I am getting some serious lost vibes here with oh, this yeah. like potential beacon from no one, just like out in the open. It's been going on for decades. Manned by no one. Manned by, I just love, and I we, we do know, of course, that there are people on this planet because we saw them in the trailers. Yeah, obviously. Um, But I just love this idea of like this beacon that's solar powered that just goes on forever. Yeah. No, it's, it's very losty. And also the grounders only had a hundred years to build their society, which, you know, as we saw was very, very different from anything that we knew or know here on our own earth and our own reality um and so i'm really curious how 200 years has shaped the allegiance society that's like double the time to evolve you know yeah it's true i do think it's interesting to think about also how in season one you know they they were colonizing an empty land right they did not they were certain there were no people on it Mm -hmm. um and that attitude of like this is my land versus your land um and the and the and growing analogy of colonization that was the last five years of our <laughs> life um you know I think it's interesting how this time I think they're a little bit more trepidatious about it and I don't think they know what to expect but I do think they're expecting some kind of society you know if the allegiance people survived it's a possibility and they are I think much more cautious this time going into it so you live and you learn yeah I I, I think it's an interesting question would Sky Crew rather there be no one on this planet or would they rather there already be a society? Because I think there's some like pluses and minuses to both. I mean, mm-hmm. if there is a society, then there's like probably water and food and shelter that they can take Room advantage service, of. Amenities. You know, whatever the case. Like yeah. they, they have their survival a little bit more mapped out. But on the flip side, there's also people to deal with. And sometimes, as we've seen in several seasons of the show, sometimes outsiders don't welcome newcomers as much, you know? It's true. And then it's also a question of, like, if, you know, they're trying to follow by Monty's example and his edict, if they don't have a external conflict, I mean, I think you can apply that to internal conflict as well, just like in their group. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be more of a test to see how they apply that philosophy if a society already exists and maybe they're not going to follow that example either yeah so you know how how do you gauge how well you're doing on a growth scale if you don't have you know the same kind of conflict to come up against yeah it's a good question i'm sure we'll find out we're gonna get that answer really (laughs) soon So the group is quiet, pondering their options, but finally Echo breaks the silence, saying she trusts Monty. Clark and Bellamy agree, so they decide to head to the planet, land at a distance from the frequency signal, and wait for any potential people on the planet to come to them. Clark doesn't want to take guns, but Bellamy overrules her, but he does promise they'll also take non-lethal weapons, and bottom line, they won't shoot first this time. Okay. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) 
we'll, we'll believe you this time. Uh, and Raven says that Clark should stay behind in that case, but actually Raven's the one who has to stay behind as they can't risk both of their pilots, and Raven is not pleased. <laughs> uh, so again, we have Echo being my high-key fave. Yep. Uh, I, I love seeing her believe in Monty. Like, I love that she's the first one to speak up and be like, I trust Monty. Let's do his plan. Yep. Love it. So good. I also just wanted to say, there. I mean, there are so many callbacks to season one, episode one in this episode. Um, but I did want to make a note in this particular scene because they're just glaringly obvious. Um, there's this idea of unknowable conditions. Again, sounds familiar. <laughs> um, this, you know, kind of m- moment that the show gives them to say goodbye to their loved ones um, and going into un known territory yeah um never, not knowing if we're ever going to see them again and i think you know especially with raven and shaw that's particularly poignant um and then also this idea of guns there was this uh whole thing about gun control in season one when clark and bellamy went on their day tripping exercise and they had like an entire episode devoted to whether or not they should bring out and use guns and i love that they took that entire episode, it was like 20 minutes or so, and reduced it to this like tiny microscopic version of it in, and we just get like a little bit of snippet of it in this episode, which I thought was delightful. Well, I mean, aside from that, we are seeing here Clark's devotion to Monty's request that they be the good guys because yeah. like she doesn't want to take guns onto the planet because she knows if they have them, they'll use them. And like, you know, Clark is the first one to shoot first like last season she definitely shot first with the Allegius crew and so I like seeing this like proof of her changing already here Mm and this just tiny little um moment between the two of her being like I don't want guns anymore yeah I I think it's great also we are pro-gun control and then Bellamy being like no (laughs) shut it down i'm gonna be like nah i disagree heartily disagree with that it's cute but no um i also just wanted to call out because this is something that i've been sort of dealing with i i don't know how to feel about raven's attitude toward clerk it's really annoying me like i have like a visceral reaction to it i want to smack her which is a weird feeling for me it's a weird space for me to be in because i love raven and i love clark and I don't, you know, usually I have like a pretty objective view of when two characters are having a disagreement or an argument or whatever. I understand both sides. I think the show does a really good job of, you know, giving us the support we need for both sides, giving us two clear point of views. But for some reason, Raven's snippiness is really driving me nuts. Um, And I don't know why. I mean, it's like, I get what you're coming like I get where you're coming from but I also think Raven more so than literally any other character even Bellamy honestly Raven is the one who actually got tortured because Clark actively turned her in you know like Bellamy was thrown into the pit but like that was kind of waylaid after a while and he was fine he survived but Raven got tortured and so I get Raven's anger toward Clark I hate it because I love Raven and Clark's relationship and I want them to like repair and be back to what they used to be um but I get it. I think part of the reason we have a hard time is because we've seen everything Clark went through last season. We've seen her regret. We've seen her emotions. And these characters haven't. Like, Clark hasn't tried to apologize to Raven. And I I, I know that Shaw at one point in the episode says, like, 
your words don't matter, it's your actions that do. But I disagree. I think both of them matter. I think actions, of course, matter. But a verbal apology is just very important. And I, I don't know if Raven would accept it. Probably not at this point. But I think you know, it would have been nice for Clark to try. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that my personal bias is more in just the line of like, again, you're right. Like I've seen Clark struggle. I know how she's feeling and her internal logic. And I I am on board with this new phase of Clark and I'm ready for everyone else to be on board with it. And Raven is not there yet. She is not on board. Yeah. She is not piloting that ship. <laughs> Uh, so Bellamy and Clark also tell Jordan that he has to stay behind since his parents ask them to keep him safe and they don't know what's waiting for them on the planet's surface. Echo uses this as a reason why they need their best fighters, meaning Octavia, but Bellamy refuses to wake his sister up, saying he'll take Miller instead. Yeah, I do really love how seriously Clark and Bellamy are taking their godparent duties to Jordan. It's very sweet. It I'll, is. I was going to say, I do wonder at what point Jordan is going to rebel. Yeah, that was kind of my thing of like, I totally get what they're saying because he's never dealt with literally anything yeah. before. But like if I were Jordan, that would have just like really, really irritated me because yeah. Jordan's also an adult, I think. I don't know. He's like, what, 23, 24? Yeah, he's a, he's an adult. I mean, I, emotionally and like socially, Yeah, I'm not sure like <laughs> what age we would give him, but like physically he's an adult. Yeah. Um, But I do, I mean, I, I understand that this was like the first thing that they responsibility that Monty and Harper bestowed on them and I and completely understand why Clark and Bellamy take it so especially because they're both parents like, yeah. already um we have Clark parent and Maddie Bellamy parent of all all, <laughs> all beings um father of everyone space dad yeah and um so I totally it makes perfect sense to me but I do think it is gonna come to a point where Jordan's gonna get sick of it and I I like that they are like kind of like alluding to this already I wish that we would have seen a little bit more of Jordan's annoyance because I know it had to be there, you know? Yeah, but I think we have time. We do. Well, we do have time. But I always know that this show, you know, sometimes barrels through things without, like, giving a second to breathe. And so I've seen it a lot happening this episode of of, of the breathing time. But there, Yeah, they've been we'll, – we'll get into that later. I actually listened to a few of our – like a bits of our podcast from last season this week. And we were like saying like, Oh, surely they're going to go through and like explain some of this stuff and like give these characters backstories. And then I was like, Oh no, that never happened. They, they did not. <laughs> so they did not. So show you are on thin ice. I'm choosing <laughs> to trust you this season, but we're going to see, we're, we're going to echo this and give you faith and believe that you know what you're doing. Speaking of Echo, yeah. <laughs> I really love the role of peacekeeper that she's taken on between Octavia and Bellamy. Like, she knows Bellamy so well, and she knows how important Octavia is to him deep down, even though, like, on the surface, he's so angry and so hurt by what she's done to him. Um, but Echo knows how important Octavia is, and so she's kind of taken on this role of, like, trying to get Octavia and Bellamy back together, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, she's she's fantastic, and like I was saying before, I mean, I think she really thinks of them as a unit and takes on the role of, you know, some of the emotional burden that he does not have the bandwidth to spare. Yeah. Um, you know, she's like the B team, you know, she's like, or the, not even the B team, the B unit, yeah. you know, like she's doing all of the other stuff on the other side that he doesn't have time to deal with or the or emotional capacity right now to handle. And so she, I, I love that she's there for him. Maybe Echo could be a good therapist. Maybe we could train her on this new planet. <laughs> no, I'm still going for Dioza. Oh, of course, Dioza. Dioza could be the one to train her. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. She could be Dioza's apprentice. <laughs> okay. 
so everyone is saying their goodbyes as the Planets Away team prepares to leave. Miller thanks Bellamy for taking him, and Bellamy says that Miller that he trusts Miller and doesn't blame him for what happened between him and his sister last season. Abby and Clark hug, and Clark asks her to look after Maddie if anything happens to her. Clark tells Abby to go save Kane, and Abby tells Clark to go save them all. So again, lots of callbacks. Um, I think we went through most of these already, but it, it is just fascinating to like, if you have time, go back and watch this scene in episode one and then watch it again, this version here. There are subtle but distinct changes that are happening. And I I just love when the writers pay homage to themselves in earlier episodes. It's great. I specifically in this scene, I'm really glad that they at least addressed the Bellamy Miller tension from last season. But... I don't know if, for me, this is satisfying closure. Well, I was actually just going to ask you that. Is it acceptable that Bellamy lays all the blame on Octavia when Miller had just as much choice and free will that he freely admits later in this episode? Yeah. Um, and he just, like, lets Miller off the hook? Like, I personally am not okay with that. Um, I don't think it's fair. I mean, Octavia was the one making the decisions, but Miller was going along with them he, for sure. I mean, we can get into this more later, but he had, I mean... You always have a choice. Yeah. Um, But I do think that Bellamy only has room in his heart right now for like anger at one person specifically. And so even though like he has some anger at Clark and some anger at Miller, he's like pushing that aside and just focusing on his anger at Octavia. Yeah. I mean, like from a practical point of view, like Miller and Clark are awake and he does not have the bandwidth right now to get into it with them and it's much easier to put it all on a sleeping Octavia than it is with live people who are awake yeah I will say though at least they addressed it like yeah you know I, I wasn't sure if they were going I to. wasn't sure either and I'm glad that they did so yeah. props props to you <laughs> I do love that Clark now knows how Abby feels sending a child into unknown danger like there was that moment there I think Clark actually said like now I know how you feel mm-hmm. um again just kind of bringing in that full circle arc the two of them have had and are now coming back together as like more fully formed people who have understand the traumas in life and the hard decisions you have to make yeah it it was just it was a nice little moment it was great and I love the button on it where Abby says to Clark go save the world I mean like I think she now has complete faith in Clark as she should and it's just really nice to see that since most of this series like Abby has been questioning Clark and I think for better or for worse um in some cases but I love I love that Abby is like her number one fan I will say I don't think Abby's questioned Clark since like season two I think after that Abby was kind of like whatever Clark thinks is right I'm gonna go with whatever Lola wants whatever Lola yes gets. <laughs> like I, I just I think that she more so than anyone has complete belief in Clark. Yeah, no, it is true. It's really, really nice to see. I'm glad. Yeah, and it, it was it was a little sad seeing the goodbye look between Raven and Shaw, too, um, just because, you know, we have knowledge of what happens after this, and this is their last moment with each other, and I don't know, it's just a little depressing. Poor Raven. That's, <laughs> a, that's what I was going to say. It's like, I don't care about Shaw at all, but I do feel really bad that she loses, like, another significant yeah. other in her life. But, I mean, honestly, they've all lost significant others. It's true. In fact, I think Clark and Raven are even, it, unless you count Wick, which I don't because he they didn't she didn't lose him. He just disappeared. <laughs> I count Wick. I don't count Wick. Honestly, I don't think that was a trauma for her. I think losing people is like Finn dies, Zeke dies, Shaw, Shaw dies, <laughs> Lexa died. It's just like they're big moments, you know. Bigger. 
much bigger much much bigger bigger. a breakup is nothing compared to losing someone you love to death (laughs) that's fair that's fair um so yeah i'm just i don't know it's just a it's a bummer (laughs) this is just a bummer yeah uh raven and jordan are in the bridge watching the dropship leave raven loses radio contact with the ship and she orders jordan to find the elegia ship a spot with less interference from the ionosphere when Jordan goes to move the ship, he notices a mysterious green swirly do. Raven puts him, or Raven directs him to put the ship directly over the swirly do to see what it is. And I just want to say that Brit has coined swirly do as the official name of the green swirly do. That's what just we're so calling you know. it. It's a swirly do. Yeah. <laughs> really that is is the scientific name. Yeah. It's <laughs> a clinical term. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at naming things, guys. <laughs> Um, but yeah, okay, so again, here's where I really kind of wanted to get into it. Do we think the swirly-do is sentient? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Okay. And yes, I do. then if it is sentient, then I think that answers your other question, which is, I think it moves. I do think it moves because it looks kind of like a storm. Yes. And, you know, storms move. Like a cyclone. <laughs> kind of. I mean, like, like no, like what a storm looks from um, space. Like the like swirls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I, I do think that it moves. Um, I don't know how fast it moves, but I do think it does. And I think I do it can think move very fast. It is sentient. I think it, if it needs to get where it's going, it can move, it can kick itself up into high gear. I think this is the life that was able to grow on this planet, aside from like plants and um, yeah. uh, insects. Although I am curious if like the plants in this world are evil. <laughs> Are they, like, evil, like, carnivorous plants just because... Well, okay, those are two different things, though. Well, I, I know. I realize they're not, like, evil. <laughs> like I, was, I was kidding. Like a Seymour situation. Yeah. <laughs> like a little shove of horse. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, because Jason Rothenberg had mentioned that this planet was a very plant-ruled world where the insects all kill each other off every eclipse, and then the plants feed off of the dead. Mm-hmm. So... Is it like the plants are a little bit more sentient than we expect? And does the green swirly do have anything to do with the plants? Or is this like a completely separate entity that has popped up on this planet because it doesn't, it's not affected by yeah, the It's like a byproduct the in the only yeah. way that like evolution could move forward because the, it's not affected by this like circle of life situation. Yeah. I just like the idea of like a completely different form of a sentient being. Or of intelligence. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I think it's really cool to think about. Um, it really is cute, though, also to see the way that Raven and Jordan kind of fall into this, like, mentor-mentee role pretty much immediately. Oh, yeah. Like, Raven kind of acts like the cool older sister who Jordan looks up to and, like, wants to impress. Monty <laughs> would be dying. He'd be so proud. He would be so proud. Um, but I did want to – I just want to say, like, Raven, we are in space, so how can you tell what a pole looks like? There is no up or down. That could be a pole. I mean, it could be a pole. There is no little, like, candy cane – flag that says North Pole on it with a reindeer so I get it where she's coming from but I mean I think maybe they just like know the way the planet's rotating so they know that can't be a pole but I thought that was like a weird thing it was a weird flex that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) like okay Raven how the hell do you know that (laughs) anyway I mean I guess she's Raven she just knows things she does the drops the drop ship drops down through the clouds and they get their first look at the planet, which is 
freaking beautiful. Mm-hmm. They land and thankfully discover the air is breathable and the radiation levels are good, which means they don't need night blood. And they pinpoint where the beacon is coming from and decide to head in that direction. Clark reminds them of Monty's task for them to do better, but Shaw says that's easy to say, but talk is cheap. Bellamy tells Clark that they will come around eventually. Um, I do love the meta commentary on how awful the dialogue was in season one, <laughs> where they were just like, is there something better we can say than we're back, bitches? <laughs> Not to keep bringing up Jason Rothenberg, but he did mention, he was like, that was the worst line I've ever written, and we called back to it in the first episode. Yeah, no, it, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. It was really, really bad. Um, My other first immediate thought was like, are you just going to walk out onto this new planet with no spacesuits? Like, you come from this ship that with super, super high-tech do you not have something that's, like, breathable? Like, especially, like, why are you all going? Like, Clark, number one, they should have had a suit. And number two, Clark should have put on the suit and gone outside because Clark has radiation or she has night blood. Yeah. So she's got radiation protection. The rest of them don't. They didn't know if it was going to be okay. Right. They just all walked out there at the same time. And then one of them is like, everything's good. Great. Right. We're not dead. Like, gr- what? <laughs> Have we learned nothing? Clearly not. Oh my <laughs> god. I was shocked. Um so I guess that's kind of confirming to us now that they don't actually need night blood, but they did take the time to remind us that the Allegius 3 team all has it um, because they thought they needed it. So I, I do think that that has to come into play this yeah. season. I mean, we we see it come into play a little bit in um this episode specifically, yeah. but like it's got to be something bigger the rest of the season too. Agreed. Agreed. And I do like that this time they all kind of leave the dropship, quote unquote, together. <laughs> um, they just like start off on the right foot, no pun intended, to uh, to be better and, and to work together. And Sure, sure. And I, I just like it. It was, it was cute. Yeah. But there was a small part of me that was like, I think Bellamy was just talking to Clark <laughs> and then realized it and then added the like all of us to like cover his tracks. Let's go together. I, I mean, all, all of us. us like, I mean, like, I really feel like he was talking to Clark. <laughs> Well, that's because, like, the together thing is, is like, the thing. Clark. it was, like, a weird choice. I don't know. It was, it was, it was weird. It, it was fan service if you wanted it to be. Yeah. <laughs> Which we do. Which I do. <laughs> um, I do like, I don't know if like's the right word, but I, I'm interested that we're seeing more of Shaw's anger toward Clark as well, just because, you know, Shaw was not part of any original group. He's kind of more removed from everyone. And I actually think this gives him a lot more reason to be angry at Clark because he hasn't had Clark save his ass like 20,000 times at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like all he's known of Clark is like this bitch who comes in with a gun and like throws him away to be tortured, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, she's the villain in his mind. Um, so it's like it's and it's also interesting because he's getting all of this information from Raven, who's also really pissed at her. So right. yeah, it's filtered. Yeah, yeah. So um, story. Yeah, I I just I, I like seeing it, and I also I mean we're not gonna see I guess much more of it, but I I just I thought it was interesting to see an outsider's perspective of what Clark has done. Yeah, I think interesting is a good word because I will not say that I enjoyed it. No, but I think it's interesting. Speaking of interesting, yeah. I also think it's interesting that we are seeing Bellamy's support of Clark because like again at this point she hasn't apologized to him for what he or what she's done and at the end of last season he was like, "Oh yeah, sure. I'm not mad at you anymore." But like there's still so much unresolved tension about what 
happened between them last season. And it just, it's interesting to me that he seems like he's totally on board with her again. I don't know if he's totally on board. I do think that the revelation that Maddie gave him at the end of last season about her radioing to him a thousand times made her made cut him some slack cut her some cut slack. her some slack but also I think it's like he's still riding on that high a little bit and he hasn't quite grappled with all of the other implications of like what's going on here so I'm sure I'm fingers crossed we're gonna get into it a lot more but I think for this particular moment I think he's just feeling warmly toward her I guess to be fair he hasn't defended her at all to like other people he has not Echo did Bellamy did not no. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, I love Clark's little thank you, Monty line. Yeah, because it's very just, sweet. it was so sweet. And it's just like, oh, Monty, you're dead. It's so sad. <laughs> um, yeah, so moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so on the ship, Nyla's helping Abby prep Kane for surgery. And Abby tells her to start getting blood from all of Sky Crew, except Octavia. So... <laughs> First off here. So Abby like snaps at Nyla about being with Bellamy when he used the algae on Octavia. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I really, what do you think? I mean, the only thing I can think of, well, number one, I think Abby is just like in a bad mood well, right now. I, that's what I was going to say. But also I wonder if there's a little bit of animosity toward Nyla because it seemed last season like Nyla was one of the strongest supporters of Octavia mm-hmm. of Bloodrena. Yeah, sure. And so like maybe there's like just a bit of tension residual because of that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, no. Other than that, I like could not specifically pin. I was like, what is your problem? But if that is the reason, then why would Abby tell Nyla not to wake Octavia up when she knows Nyla was Bloodrena's biggest supporter? It's like. Nyla's not going to listen to you. Well, I mean, I think that's why she told her that. Like, don't do not do that thing I know you want to do. Yeah, but, like, Nyla's not, like, who who put Abby in charge, you know? like Abby. Abby put Abby in charge. <laughs> um, <laughs> who died and put Abby in charge? Literally no, no one. one. <laughs> Unfortunately, not Kane. <laughs> well, I do think Clark, like, left Abby in charge when sure. they left yeah. the ship. <laughs> but again, actually, Bellamy left Raven in charge, as we find out yes, later. Yes, he did. <laughs> Um, I do also like that you can just sort of like feel the writers reminding us about how few of the Sky Crew and the original 100 um, delinquents are left. You know, they they had mentioned that there are very, very little Sky Crew left who can donate blood. They're universal donors. And it's just so sad to think about how many people have died that were on the original show. There's what, like four left? There's like four of them. Yeah. It's crazy. It's rough. <laughs> so I do I do like that the show took a second and just like very subtly reminded us. Like yeah. we've lost a lot. Well, I mean, I guess there's four of the space or of the um delinquents left. Yeah. There's that's like what a, I was there's talking. like a few more of the but not that many. Not yeah. that many. I think they said like fifteen. Oh, did they give it, it a it number? Was very, very small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh on the bridge as Jordan repositioned repositions the ship they discover that alpha is not a planet it is a moon which is pretty damn cool uh jordan says his parents would have loved this and raven says she misses them too jordan leaves and abby comes in to take raven's blood raven allows her to take what she needs but she doesn't want to talk abby apologizes for what she did to raven with the collar but raven won't hear it when abby tries to tell raven that she's not her mother raven snaps that she's right because her mother never hurt her and it turns out that Octavia is literally the first person Nyla chose to wake up. And the first thing Octavia asks is where her brother is. So I do love the reveal that it's a moon. Um, although it, this 
actually another Jason Rothenberg quote, sorry guys, is that um, they had done concept art for what the planet would look like. And in the sky, they were like, oh, what if there's like a big planet just again to help differentiate it from Vancouver because that was like a problem they were running into. And so they did all of this and then they got into the writer's room and some of the writers were like, you do realize that if you have like a giant planet in the sky, that means that this is actually a moon and not a planet. And Jason was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I so, mean, I, I like it, though. I love it, yeah. It's very Endory to me from Star Wars. Yeah. And it, it does help differentiate it from Vancouver. So more power to You mean because there's them. a giant planet in the yes, sky? Yes, that is what I mean. But that's the only way that you can differentiate uh, And then there is the funky plants. Well, and, then and the, the rainbow. Suns. Don't forget the rainbow glimmer. The rainbow glimmer. There's like a glimmer, a shimmer everywhere. Oh, from like Annihilation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just like to make it look extra pretty. <laughs> no, it's it's like to make the, the atmosphere is different. Yeah. But that's about it (laughs) um i also like seeing the little moment between raven and jordan when raven realizes that like there's still a piece of monty and harper with her and and she can recognize that there is someone else who misses them even more than she does and like that kind of softening in her toward jordan right before he leaves is just it's really lovely yeah she was being a little prickly and then i feel like she realized like this is a human and it's Monty it's and Harper's Monty kid. It's Harper's human. Yeah, you can totally see her facial features like soften at that point. It's yeah. really beautiful. I like this double entendre um, that happens when Abby says to Raven, you know, I'm not your mother. Because she means it in this like really positive way that, you know, I'm not like, I'm not going to do what your mother did to you, which is basically abandon you emotionally and sometimes physically. Um, and she would never hurt Raven. But as she says the words, she literally, me- like, it actually comes out, like, the inflection that she puts on it. She's like, I'm not your mother. Yeah. And it was I know. Really I thought the same thing. Harsh. It was very harsh. Um, And it's, it's, you know, I think Abby has been a surrogate mother to Raven for so long. And the fact that she's saying, like, the words, like, I'm not your mother, it was, like, really heartbreaking. <laughs> I agree. I thought it was, like, a weird choice of words. For well, what like, I, I know, what Abby meant, but like just the way it sounded. Well, was but I, I think that was the I think that was intentional that the writers were saying like Abby is meaning it this one way, but it's coming out as something else. And there's this like huge disconnect between the way that Abby wants to be for who wa- Abby wants to be for even and like what she actually is for. I don't think Abby is able to like really dealt with all the horrible things that she's done. I mean, clearly not because she's like moving on i mean it's rough she's had a hard time being a mother to her own kids so right. i mean like she we're not there yet so i, I just i loved i love that double entendre i think is really important i do wonder if this is retconning a bit because from what i remember from previous seasons it really does sound like raven's addict mother did used to hurt her you know like i, I i'm not 100 percent sure and if you want to you know email us and tell me how wrong i am i would love that yeah i do have an impression of raven's mom I don't know if she specifically abused her, but I know she emotionally abandoned her um, well, multiple I mean, like, times. And I know that she stole food from her. Yeah. We, we had proof that she would steal Raven's, like, food cards. Yeah. Um, and trade them for booze. So, I mean, if you want to call that – I mean, I do call that some kind of abuse yeah. um, and neglect. I don't know if it's, like, how – I mean, I don't know if you need to actually quantify I guess it. I just always – thought 
that she was physically abusive, especially after what happened last season with Abby and then Raven relating it back to her mother. It just seemed like she was making that direct connection of like my mother used to hurt me and now Abby does too. Like, I don't know. I don't don't know if you can qualify it. It's a hard line between physical and emotional abuse. And I don't know if Raven was connecting the dots in one way versus the other. Um, But I, I don't think it, at the end of the day, I don't think it it matters. matters. I was just curious how other people have seen it, if they've actually thought of Raven's mother physically abusing her. Yeah, I always did. I do. And, but I did feel a little bit of retconning here because I think, and it, maybe it's not retconning. Maybe it's really Raven retconning herself. That's true. And like Saint, Saint, what is it? Sanctifying her mother, you know, in, in comparison to Abby in the moment, you know, I think she's like just choosing to remember the best parts of her mom when facing Abby's the worst parts of Abby mm-hmm. um because we know that Abby I mean Raven has had a really horrible relationship with her mother yeah. so yeah or that Raven's had a really horrible yes. yeah yes yeah agree. we know um but in this scene too I really do think Abby could have groveled a bit harder like she honestly barely apologizes like she like can barely get the words out and there is one person at fault here and it is Abby and Abby it doesn't really seem like she's trying that hard. No, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Is like she, I don't think she's at the point yet where she can really reconcile with all of the stuff she's done. She's not. She's not emotionally ready yet. I mean, she and knows that she's done wrong. She and knows she, that, like on from a, like a logical point of view, but emotionally, I don't think she's like able to process. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't think that she can process what the addiction did to her, but I do think she can understand how horribly she treated Raven. And I don't think that Abby wants them to be at odds right now. Um, I think Abby wants Raven to forgive her. I think she does too, but I also think she has a person dying on the table and is like, I need your blood. True. But I still think like she could have been a bit softer in this scene than just like, I need your blood. Sorry for what I did. Oh, I agree. Just like leave, you know, it it was not a good apology. It was a bad apology. That's fair. Um, one thing to call out, Octavia wakes up and she's crying. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because she's very rarely vulnerable. Well, she's crying because she was crying at the end of last season. Yeah. So it's just like that tear that that been never frozen fell. in space. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's exactly what I was gonna say. It's like she's been frozen in time. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Um, and I really love this um, uh, thing that Nyla says to her Happy Resurrection Day because it is. I think such a strong metaphor for Octavia's journey this season. You know, resurrection is like she's like resurrecting herself, her former a former version of herself that we haven't seen in a while. So this is like the end of Blood Reina and the beginning of something new. Um, Whether it's something better or something worse, we shall find out. We shall see. But <laughs> it, I don't know if it could get any worse. I, we always say that, and yet. And yet they find a way. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think it will get worse before it gets better, but I have hope that it will get better. Same. Same. On the planet, they find the lake, which has an incredible view of the gas giant planet in the background, as well as the two suns, the red one of which looks to be eclipsing the yellow. They decide to camp there, and Murphy jumps into the water, and at first it appears that something is wrong, but then he surfaces and pulls Mori in laughing. Uh, so again, more callbacks to episode one. We get that callback to the damn eel from episode one of season one, um, where Octavia almost gets eaten. Yeah. <laughs> but this time it's okay. And I thought it was interesting that Clark here is the only one of them who 
is there to remember that moment. Mm-hmm. And so she looks shocked and hor- and you can like see the connection she's making. Oh yeah. And the and the like the the way that they shoot it, it, it is like you're waiting for the yeah, monster, the monster to come out. Um, and it was kind of a nice twist that there was no monster. It's like, oh, maybe this planet is like full of puppies and rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Side note, it's not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did I did make that connection as well. It was really good. Also, just Clark looks so good in this all episode, but in this scene with the sun's yeah. eclipsing inside. She's hot. She's she's damn damn good looking beautiful damn fine. she's looking so good um also this is one of the first times that we get those one of those new camera techniques i was talking about they do a panoramic shot they start from one side and they zoom all mm-hmm. the way around to the other and there's also you can see the shimmer in the air for the first time um and i you know it's right as the eclipse is happening um so do we think the shimmer i know the toxin I, I don't think the shimmer is the toxin i actually think it's I weirdly think it has something to do with the swirly do. Oh, I was thinking it had something to do with the way that the the light like from the light two suns reflects, filtered through the reflect. Yeah, refracts is what the word I was yeah. saying. Maybe that's a good idea. Um, but I do think that just like the note of like when the camera starts to get wonky is usually like a good visual cue that things are going to go south pretty yeah. soon. Um, so that was just one one yeah. thing to to pay attention to. I will say it was a bit jarring to see these characters like playing and like oh, yeah. having fun i was like when was the last time that happened <laughs> also it was like weird i was like guys like good for you yeah <laughs> but also do we have time for this i mean i guess they have nothing but time yeah. right now no it's true they're just like chilling out here at this lake until they expect someone's gonna come meet them really happy for them yeah i am too yeah it's very short-lived for this but- moment <laughs> Um, and I also just wanted to note that it looks like Amori and Murphy are back together. Like the way they interact this episode, it seems like they've kind of just over, they didn't really overcome any of their issues. They've just decided to ignore their issues and, uh, be back together. Yeah. Since last I guess season. the question of like, I'm, sh- yes, I think they've given up trying to not be together and they're just like gonna work through it moving forward. I don't. I think they've tried to be apart, and it yeah. didn't work. So now they're together, and we're gonna see how it goes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jackson is looking at a bug in the jar, alien life. But then he and Miller realize that on this planet, they're the aliens. Which do 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 do. Miller is completely or is clearly upset and Jackson tells him they both did horrible things in the bunker but it's over now. Miller is still feeling guilty for the things he did but Jackson said they only did those things to survive. Miller only wishes that were good enough. Meanwhile Echo notes Bellamy watching them and says that someday he'll thank Miller for keeping Octavia alive. She tells him that that he has to forgive his sister at some point but Bellamy can't just yet. So like you were saying earlier the another line that I never want to hear again is we needed to we did it because we needed to survive yeah. is like the other half of the we'll get our humanity back yeah I'm tired of it it's done I'm done with this let's move on let's move on um but I do think they had to like tie some things up yeah, here good, that's fine but never again and I like seeing that Miller is accepting that he had well he played a bad role that's exactly what I was gonna say is you know here we actually see Miller you know confessing his guilt and I you know as as I said before I don't think it's fair of Bellamy to absolve him so easily um you know I don't think Bellamy is ever fair when it comes to Octavia (laughs) but I do love that the show is engaging with this 
and making a note, you know, just for our sake that, you know, Miller is not okay with his actions. We don't have to be okay with his actions. And I like them acknowledging this. Yeah, I mean. It's very nice for me. This is what I wanted and I'm okay with it now. As Miller says to Jackson, like, there's a difference between what you did, which was not stepping in when something was wrong and what I did, which was actually doing wrong things. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, my question is, is there a major difference between those two? Like, are you not responsible for both? I don't know if I think that Jackson and Miller have any less culpability than the other, you know? I agree completely. Um, Not that I even blame them, because I get that things were hard in the bunker. Like, Yeah, no, this isn't about blame. This is, you know, this is about personal responsibility. Um, I... It's a really good question, and I think that's one of the questions that the show teases out mm-hmm. back and forth, and I think it's a case-by-case basis. I think it's a character-by-character basis. I think motivation is a large part of it. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, as we see with Raven, this is something that happens a lot with her, mm-hmm. is she lets things happen and doesn't stop them, and then she seems to think that makes her less culpable than Clark who does the things you know what I mean yeah exactly so I guess we'll see how that changes if that changes moving forward this season yeah I also wanted to call out this epic line that Echo says to Bellamy which is there's no starting over without forgiveness it's so powerful this was like I just like felt this line in my bones it was amazing yeah it was great and it was such a great callback to their own relationship too and I've loved seeing how this aspect of their relationship and how supportive Echo is of Bellamy and how how much she understands him. And I I honestly kind of think that she is more supportive and understanding about his mental space than he is about hers. Yeah. I I think the the relationship is a bit uneven here. Yeah, but I think most relationships are. Um, I do not think that a relationship is always 50-50. No, but I, I do think in the same way... What was I what what was I talking about last season? Someone gives more th- Oh. It was always Nyla who Nyla like gives so much in her relationships and doesn't get back as yeah. much. I feel the same way that Echo's really giving a lot to Bellamy. And I I I mean again, I'm not sure because I haven't seen them together much, but I don't know if he's giving back to her as much as she gives to him. It's a good question. I'm not sure. Um I will say though that from someone who is like pulling her own hair out and like ready to kill herself over the fact that they had Echo and Bellamy get together last season. I've come a long way and I really enjoy them as a pairing. Like I really do. Like their affection and their cuddling and their support of each other more more Echo than Bellamy. But you know, I mean, I, I do think that he is a, a, a rock and somebody to lean on for her. I really love it. I think it's great, and I think it's 90% of all the character work that they've done with Echo, and it's just, you know, I can't not like her. Yeah. I can't. Agreed. So Shaw is still trying to reach Raven on the radio to no avail. Clark tells him Raven will get the radio fixed, and then she apologizes for turning him in, and she wants everyone to hear this apology, finally. Uh, If she could go back and do things differently, she would, but she can't. Shaw tells Clark that salvation comes from faith and good works, what you say and not what you do, and Clark hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. Okay, so here we go again. This is also very irritating to me, like Shaw preaching to Clark and telling her about how, you know, she doesn't do anything 
you know, it, it, it doesn't mean anything until she, like she does something. Very annoying. And I know that's not fair of me because it's really just like an extension of Raven's attitude. But I don't think that the show has earned or given him enough screen time to be this aggressive to one of our main characters without me getting like understandably defensive about it. Like I am very protective of Clark and I just don't think Shaw I mean, I get what you're saying. I think Shaw is very naive. Like, he's... The things that he's had to do, you know, he did turn on his crew members to stop them from killing the Allegis prisoners. That was, like, one little thing. But for the most part, Shaw hasn't really had to compromise much in his morality to survive, you know? Like, he just hasn't been on the planet long enough to do that. Yeah. And our characters have. And so, like, this is a very black and white view of of redemption and salvation and i i think that he has earned that only in the sense that he hasn't done anything else because he hasn't been there you know (laughs) i'm just really tired of people attacking clark yeah Um, i I am too i'm done especially given that like miller is also there and miller you know turned on them all and like i'm just like there's like other people who are culpable for for different parts of the things that happened yeah Agreed. But and it really just Clark Everybody's just dunking on Clark and yeah. I'm tired of it. Um, which I think, you know, is... It's is, fair, is, I guess. Well, and also, like, the writers are doing this on purpose. Yeah, so, like, of course. This is, like, clearly. Um, I'm just... I'm done. <laughs> um, I do want to call out that, the, you know, the show does play with a lot of different religions and philosophies um, throughout this series. Like, they are a very... Re- spiritual show and they like to incorporate spirituality from a lot of different um belief systems throughout our world into the show but I think this is the first time that I really got like an overtly like Christian vibe um in the form of like Shaw's sort of like preachiness Mm -hmm. here and it just kind of makes me wonder about his upbringing a little bit um and maybe like if he was you know had a faith growing up and how that impacts his like you were saying his ideas of salvation and redemption I think it's really interesting when you apply you know our some of our worldviews and our belief systems to what is currently happening in the show Mm -hmm. and this just like you said it feels very black and white to me and like some of the verbiage that he's using in the specific language is very Christian and we just haven't seen a lot of that thus far in the show so it's interesting and I thought it was cool yeah I, I like them bringing in what is now like an ancient religion yeah (laughs) yeah exactly it's it's a callback yeah (laughs) um I really really felt satisfied at the moment when Clark kind of claps back at Murphy with like yours too you know when when Murphy's like oh this is Clark's fifth chance um it's just it brings up yours too Murphy yours too Murphy (laughs) I loved it It was so good. And it brings up this larger discussion about what I really want to see from Clark this season and from Clark just moving forward in general. I want to see her defending herself a little bit. Like she is so accepting of her uh, culpability in everything. Like she never pretends like there were that she had any reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, like, she's always, she's always very aware, self-aware of the choices that she's made. She just accepts all of the fallback on herself that I think sometimes is undeserved. Like, she definitely deserves some, but I think that there are times when Clark could defend herself and should defend herself, but doesn't. Yeah. And that's what frustrates, frustrates me a little because I don't think Clark feels like she deserves to defend herself. And yeah. I think she does. I think she does too. And I, this is exactly, this is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier. Of Like Murphy really is the only person who can 
instigate her reflexes yeah. to the point to get her to this place where she feels like she can't help herself but defend herself um and i will say it was like a hilarious like how dare you murphy yeah. you are you all you? people <laughs> <laughs> it was it felt so good yeah i've never i have never been more on board with anything that clark has ever said more than that it just was like a clap back yeah it, it was perfect in every way and i loved every second of it um but i will say just like a little thing here i love that clark still has faith in raven and will always have faith in raven she always believes that raven will figure it out you yeah. know and it's just like it's like no matter what's going on between them clark sees who raven is and respects who she is and loves who she is and i i, I love that so. yeah i mean a lot of times like clark is the bigger person and she usually is you know not always but most of the time she is yeah um and she's just like she like raven she just has so much faith in her yeah it's i love wonderful. it wonderful i want them to make up they will eventually. hug and make up uh, suddenly they notice that the bugs around them have stopped chirping. Jackson, so, sh- Jackson, Jackson, <laughs> Jackson shows them the bug he has in his jar, which was docile a minute ago and is now freaking out. Murphy gets bitten by a bug and then after a beat, a swarm of them descends. The group covers their face and runs. They see a fence in the distance, which Shaw says is where the Allegius signal is coming from, but when Shaw crosses the fence line, he gets electrocuted. Clark realizes the fence is radiated, and so she jumps in to save Shaw, knowing her nightblood will protect her. They're able to get the fence down so the rest of the group can cross, but it's too late to save Shaw, and he dies. So, (laughs) so... Uh, I guess first off, we get our first look at the dangers of this world. Like, we knew that it was too good to be true that Murphy didn't get eaten gi- by a giant water worm or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's some other scary things out there that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. More, <laughs> more on that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do. I love that, you know, we've been talking about Clark's culpability and, you know, the bad things that she's done and whether or not she's a good person or not. I think it's clear, I mean, obvious here. Clark is a hero. She leaps in here to save Shaw, who was just accusing her of being a bad person, by the way, without even a thought. I mean, I do think that you can qualify this and say that she knew that her nightblood would be, that would, you know, would allow her to survive more than others would. But I don't know. That's not like a for sure thing. And I don't even think she really had time to think about it. I mean, like she leapt she leapt into the fire to save She also others. leapt mentally to get that it was radiation because it does not look like radiation. It looks like electricity. Zapping yeah, someone. he's like being like a bug zapper. <laughs> yeah, it's a bug zapper, exactly. So just like Clark making the leap that like, oh, this must be a radiation fence, which must mean that my nightblood will protect me. So I'm the only one who can save him. So I must go. <laughs> yeah, all of those leaps. Those like... Uh, uh, And then Belgium was like, no, Clark. (laughs) Not happy about it. Um, Would rather Shaw die than Clark. Honestly, (laughs) probably. I mean, like, yeah, no offense to Shaw, but if it's between the two of them. It was. It was between the two of them. He picked Clark. (laughs) I just just love this pure moment of heroism that the show gives us. It's like, oh, were we questioning Clark? Okay, well, let's just prove it once and for all. She's a hero. She's a good person. She means well. She does mean well. She always means well. Her intentions well. are pure. Yeah. It's her actions that are sometimes not as pure, but. Yeah. 
so let's talk about Shaw. Okay. Um, this is, I, I don't, like, there's so much to say here. Honestly, <sighs> okay. <laughs> I like that. I, there's like, there's like so many landmines here. I was shocked. No pun intended. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. First landmine. I was shocked that they killed Shaw in the first episode. I knew that he had his own show and I thought it was possible he would die this season, but I did not think it would be in the first episode, you know? Yeah. Um. Let's talk about the, the non-show implications of this okay um within the show i guess i should say i understand that this makes sense i don't think there was any other way if 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 and i'll give them the benefit of the doubt that he like could only do one episode i don't know if they could have done it any differently because they had two characters then who were like on the chopping block it was shaw i guess and then kane yeah and I think if they were going to choose between the two of them, they would choose to keep Kane alive in cryosleep versus Shaw, just because Kane's like a bigger character. Yeah. And so I don't think there was anything they could have done to not kill Shaw. And again, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they really did only have one episode with him. Yeah. Um, but we do also have to like look at the idea of like, oh, they're killing another like marginalized kind of character right after they had sex the optics are not great it's not great and it's like it's one of those hard things to really read when you don't have all of the behind the scenes knowledge yeah like it's it's really hard to like place some sort of value on what happened when like you know just working in publishing like I do there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that like readers don't see and there's like reasons we make certain choices that we make Mm -hmm. and I'm sure in TV it's exactly the same yeah there's a practical aspect to this Uh, there are a lot of like functional things that we just will never know the full story it's it's not great them killing a black man um, like this and right after he's had sex with another woman of color I, I like just I don't know how to feel about it because I don't have all the facts. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you, and I feel very similarly. I will say though that I think, um, from a narrative point of view, like if you and there is, I mean, I never ever want to divorce color from character. Like you can't. Yeah, context is everything. Um, so it's, it, this is a purely a thought exercise and in no way do I mean this in the real p- producing of this show. Um, from a narrative point of view, if you were looking at these characters on the page, you know, not the actors who play them, mm-hmm. somebody on the ground's got to die this episode. It's just, it's got to happen because that's the way story works. You can't get to a new planet. Everything is like rain- rainbows and sunshine and ponies and get away with it and not have someone die I feel like that is a thing that had to have happened it places the stakes on this new place it sets up a lot of like in-universe logic that we need to know we need to know about the radiated fences we need to know about the nightbloods who can pass through them we need to know about the allegiance programming and how that influences all of these things I think there are a lot of world building things that needed to take place and the best way to communicate them without it being pl- info dumping is through this death 
do yeah. I do I think that the opt and again you cannot divorce context you know color from character so do I think it's a really unfortunate situation that Shaw was the character to bite it this episode in this specific way after he has sex with Raven I do find it very unfortunate and it's not good optics and it's a questionable decision absolutely I think you know again there are so many mechanics involved in this it's very hard to parse out where the line is between acceptable and unacceptable or if that line even exists um but I do think from like a specific narrative lens one of them had to die and Shaw's character made the most sense to die in I mean this. he's the most expendable he's the sure. most expendable we are the least invested in him yada yada that and that is my two cents on that piece of it yeah I I like I'm very just unsure in general how to feel about it and I'm just probably going to stay that way because I I don't want to make any snap judgments that where I'm like not taking into account behind the scenes stuff that I don't know about so I'm just gonna say that I this wasn't my favorite choice but I have to believe it was for a reason and not just yeah as like some sort of like subtextual racist. It caught me move. very much by surprise. Yeah. Um, was not expecting this at all. And I am still surprised by it. So I think it's going to take some time to figure out. Yeah. Um, just one more note here that Shaw says that Raven doesn't think she deserves happiness, but she does. And I am wondering if this is kind of setting up Raven's arc for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, is just her finding happiness with herself. Yeah. I hope so I because hope so too. she deserves it and she this does. is rough. <laughs> and this is a really tough thing to overcome. Yeah. But hopefully by the end of it she'll understand that regardless of all the terrible things that befall her, um, you know, she is worthy of, of getting a happy ending mm-hmm. or at least trying to make herself happy. Yeah. Which is different. Yeah, Agreed. Uh, in the Allegius Med Ward, Abby can't find the pain pills that she'll need when Kane wakes up. She realizes Raven took them, and when she asks for them back, Raven justifies it by saying that Bellamy asked her to take care of the ship, and that's what she's doing. Raven questions if she actually wants the pills for Kane or for herself. Abby says she already apologized. Very poorly. Did you? Uh, <laughs> and is going to stay clean now, and yells at Raven to give her the pills. Raven does, but with the caveat that Abby should just go ahead and kill herself with them now, so they can all move on. Yeah. So this was a really harsh scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, from both of them, both, both not great. I'm sorry. Can we just get with the like? I already apologized to you about torturing you. Get over it. Yeah. Like, come <laughs> on. I apologized to you 12 minutes ago. Like, why are you still ta- harping on this? I mean, also, like, Raven just told Abby to kill herself, so, like, that's not great. No. Um, (laughs) But I will say that even though I have a lot of issues with Raven at the moment, I do think she made some very valid points in this scene. Yeah. Like, she is not 100% wrong. Oh, she's, like, mostly, right. 5% wrong. (laughs) She's about 5 or 10% wrong. (laughs) So, you know, it had to be said. The truth hurts. It does hurt. Uh, and, and, you know, Raven as a character does tend to push people away, like, again, to not to harp on Wick, but that is, I mean, behind the scenes stuff aside, in canon, the reason why she broke up with Wick is because, like, he was getting too close to her and yeah. she had to push him away. Yeah. Um, so I think this is very natural for her character and I think it will probably take a little while for her and Abby to get back to a good place if they're ever going to be back into a good place, you know? Yeah, I have 
hope that they will. I think they will definitely get to a better place, but will they ever be able to get back to what they were? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I do – like, you know, we discussed this a lot last season. I really do appreciate the way that this show handles addiction. I think they give – and pay due diligence to both sides of you know the addict and the loved one who is affected by the addict's behaviors point of views and I appreciate the way that they continue to sort of thread that needle because it's a very very finely needle um yeah and I just I I think it's really well done yeah I agree nothing to add there good good The Alpha team is climbing up a hill toward the beacon. Murphy notes they're about to, or that they're screwed without a pilot, and they all start to bicker as Murphy pokes at them. Clark and Miller almost get into a fight with Murphy, but Bellamy stops them, saying Amori can fly them back. Finally, they reach the top of the hill and find Disneyland at the top, <laughs> because as Murphy puts it, they have a castle. <laughs> <laughs> it really is Disneyland. It really is. Um, so, you know, Murphy being Murphy here, he's just annoying the shit out of everyone as a defense mechanism, as usual. Um, and he's really, really good at it. Oh, so good at he it. He truly is. And I I love that he does it because he is the one who, like, calls out things that no one else will. Yeah. But I also think he needs to get punched in the face every once in a while. He does. But I also think it's interesting. Like, he is – I feel like this is also his kind of grief, you know? Because yeah. Oh, he lashes. He That's lashes. his grief. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, Shaw just died in front of him. He's scared. He is sad. And he is confused. And instead of dealing with it like a person, he – starts bugging everyone else so that they feel as shitty as he does yeah that's a really good point um and uh yeah yeah it was it was nice though I want to say that that someone else aside from Clark gets insulted because like uh Murphy also kind of needles at Miller yeah which is just like yeah that's that's nice like someone else can take turns punching bag just for a second yeah and I think it's you know we see that you know like the the more emotionally consumed Murphy is like the bigger range he you know his 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 mood affects more people you know like it it expands (laughs) yeah you know to less than he has more targets um he's like a virus he's he's a lot of things he's a cockroach he's a virus um I think it's interesting that Bellamy is continuing to be this like sort of pacifist here and you know it's like he's like taking Monty's words about doing better and being better and sort of blending it with his like approach from last season season which was like you know very you know logical yeah um and but was it well right okay so but I'm saying that this is an improvement yeah yeah I I like that this this is like blending yeah um and it comes with humor it does surprisingly great (laughs) like I will take it 3.0 yes Bellamy with like a humor chip right yeah so I'm really into this new Bellamy. Yeah. I'm really digging it. I mean, I'm digging it a lot more than I was digging last season. That's I was what I'm not saying. into that. It's an improvement. Yeah. Uh, so, so this new society. I mean, we've seen like glimpses of it in the trailer, but we are now seeing it in full force and it looks like nothing we have ever before seen on the show. Nope. Um, it really, I think I talked about this too in our trailer recap, but yeah. it, it keeps reminding me of Star Trek just with like the pastel colors they use and it like looks kind of like cheesy but not necessarily in a bad way you know what I mean yeah no I I just like I can't get that out of my head and I'm curious if they're going to be paying any more homage to Star Wars um in this I'm sorry Star Trek did I say Star Trek originally you did okay yes Star Trek um just like in the sense of them going down to a society that seems perfect and then like 
isn't. That's yeah. a very big Star Trek plotline that's used many times. Many, so. many times. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just curious what they're going to do with that. Yeah, I am really excited. Uh, the Alpha team walks around the seemingly deserted town, knocking on doors. Amori notes Allie's infinity symbol on the flags, and Clark remembers that Becca did the tech for Allegius. Second reminder. There we go. <laughs> Bellamy tells them that they can't break into people's houses like thieves, but Murphy, being Murphy, kicks down a door anyway. Inside, they find restraints chained to a wall and a shrine of a, fa- or shrine of a family all named Lightborn. They leave the room, but not before Murphy steals an iPod. Of course he does. Um, yeah. So, question. When are we getting our Becca flashback? Uh, about the same time we're going to be getting our Cadigan flashbacks. Uh, Cadigan and Becca are going to be, like, warring it off in, in Maddie's mind. I'm so here for it. I'm ready. I'm really ready. I love it. <laughs> I, like, I cannot wait for the Becca flashbacks. I mean, like, it has to happen. It has to they, happen. There's no reason they for them to call back. so many yeah. hints. Like, it's got to happen. Yeah, okay. Um, And then in regards to Bellamy's new humor chip, uh, the there's hope for us yet line. Oh when he's God. talking about like oh blow up a planet and they put you on a flag is the funniest thing bellamy has ever said yeah. bar none no it's true i uh, the i'm speechless <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't believe he said something so funny who knew he had a sense of humor that was like a murphy level joke oh yeah i mean he does deploy like one joke a season so i hope that <laughs> there's two though this episode i know that's what i'm saying is like i feel like you know bellamy 3.0 is he's got a sense of humor it's great <laughs> i love it um one thing that I did I, another moment that I wanted to call out here is we get another like overt religious reference here but this time it's more in line with like a Jonestown cult situation yeah like everything about this new society screams cult to me yeah um and not in a good way there is no good way I, um <laughs> I mean I love a good cult so bring it on yeah no I I think it makes for really great television yeah um but scares the crap out of me yeah um, but I do think it's fascinating that we get two, like, very clear, um, overt references from religions of our time in this episode. Yeah. And they, like, completely oppose each other. So I like this idea of the ground, I mean, we don't call them grounders anymore, Sky Crew, coming down with this sort of, like, do better, be better attitude, and they are coming up against this kind of cult fanaticism. I'm not sure how that's going to play. I mean, Clark and Bellamy have already noted the the weird culty feeling because Bellamy was like, oh, look at this shrine. I guess nice to be remembered. And Clark's like, or worshipped. Yeah, there's some weird shit happening. They here. had like blood. They dripped into like a cup. It was just like, it was very odd. It's gross. Um, and I can't wait to find out more. Like, this is what I am really excited. Like, not the most excited for it because I think the most excited for I am this season is for like the green swirly do. Yeah. And for some clones to come out of it (laughs) but i am super excited too to get the real story behind the allegius crew the original ones and especially these like mysterious lightborns that seem to be being worshipped or at least like very strongly remembered (laughs) deeply remembered deeply remembered yeah um it's um there's like a lot of stuff going on here yeah so i'm ready for it buckling in Kane wakes up and Abby shows him that they've arrived at a new planet. Kane is stunned and he truly believes that everything that happened happened so they could get here. 
At that, Octavia comes in and asks Kane if he thinks that he's better than her. She tells Kane he's a traitor, that they lost 417 people in that gorge massacre because of him. She can't believe he trusted the promises of murdering psychopaths, her words. Kane tells her that every or that she burned the farm not to save them for power and that she is still lost. Whew. This oh, scene, guys. <laughs> This scene is everything to me. <laughs> I was living for this. I was like yelling at the TV. I was like, you go, Octavia. You tell him. <laughs> it was real good. It was real, real good. I will say I find it so sad how badly Kane and Abby cling to this idea of redemption. And, you know, there's such a difference in generations because – the way that they view this as their own deliverance and significance in the universe, like all of the events have led up to this specific moment and they've been saved for this reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just such an egocentric way of thinking about this versus how all of the delinquents see this as something that they've earned and worked for and as their second chance, really, is something that they're unworthy of but will be and that they need to earn their way to this moment. Mm-hmm. Um I just it's so sad <laughs> like how pathetic Kane and Abby are like it's it is sometimes I I've got to agree I mean again this is a lot I do have a bias against Kane but I still feel like I'm being pretty objective objective about things I what I loved about this scene is the same thing that I loved about the Vincent Kane scene from last season when Vincent just like drags Kane um it's not because I think that Vincent or Octavia are like good people yeah, mo- a superior to Su- him yeah I think they're both hot messes Octavia maybe is not like you know a serial killer although she kind of is. I mean we'll, mm. we'll, we'll move that aside we don't need to worry about that but but I think it's more so that like Kane just is able to push aside the things that he's done and like think oh it's for the greater good yeah. and like it doesn't seem to like bother his conscience quite as much as other characters like he just I don't know there's something about his hubris and his like belief that like what he thinks is the right path it it just like really eats at me um well I mean I think if you get if you can take it out of context and like ascribe it to like it's white male privilege like oh for sure he he just assumes that his way is the best way um and if somebody disagrees with him and then bad things happen, it's obviously their fault, not his. I mean, I will say I do think that Henry and Cusick is like half Latino. Yeah, or he's not. He's not he's like not totally, totally white, white. But, but I, I mean, I, so, but I mean, like you can kind of apply it in the same yeah, way. I, I didn't mean it. Male liter- privilege, I, I guess. I didn't mean it literally white male privilege, <laughs> yeah. but I meant that like idea. Oh, it's like, like yeah, yeah, I see what you say. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I, I, I do love, I just, I love seeing Kane's faults thrown in his face because Everyone knows what Octavia has done, and they are constantly using those faults against her, which is justified, honestly. She's done some crazy things. Um, but in these later seasons, Kane really just seems to get away scot-free with the horrible things that he's done, and I, I hate it. So, <laughs> Yeah. It's not – I mean, like, this was a lot of really, really good stuff that I mean, being thrown around. Octavia just, like, rolled out the scroll. Like, she even talked about – the culling which happened so long ago but she was like oh hey remember that that was also your fault and this was your fault and this was your fault and I also like that she called him on his bullshit too like my personal favorite was like when she was like we'd have starved to death if it was your way you mm-hmm. know because like you have no alternative like yeah. we like talked about a lot this this last season so I don't want to harp on it but like she really did yeah go Everything. for the throat yeah like, she does <laughs> 
Um, and it also, I think, really helped us get a look at how Octavia saw the situation last season. Like, we kind of knew how she was viewing it, but her being like, who promised you this? Like, the murdering psychopath she took right. up with, like, that really did kind of put more into perspective that, like, Octavia did not know these people. I mean, hell, we barely knew these people. And and Kane was just, like, trusting the word of, like, people who literally were sent off planet because their crimes were so bad, you yeah. know? I mean, and, and to then, to Kane's credit, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, like, I think for him, any option was, at that point was better than Octavia. That's true. I mean, girl was not doing well. So, I mean, again, they're throwing jibes back and forth yeah. at each other and they are all pretty much earned i mean kane does say look octavia is still very much lost and she is like she, now yeah. more so than ever i think she's she's lost the one purpose that she had and and now that's gone she's like what am i what's left of me you know yep and like you know the butterfly motif that is octavia like she just keeps evolving and transforming into different versions of herself without ever going back to the primary state of being which is this little girl trapped under the floor and I am like praying you mean, you mean without ever leaving that without yeah yeah, yeah yeah um but she like carries it with her mm-hmm. in every transformation that she takes and it ruins every evolutionary step forward because she cannot get for she cannot move forward yeah she this. has to let go of that self before she'll she, be able to like so really like, truly evolve this idea of resurrection that Nyla said to her I am like praying that we like go back to the start and we get like a we reconcile all of that and then can like move forward. Like yeah. I say this every season, I'm putting it out in the universe. I'm going to keep saying it every season Please until it happens. Please reward me. <laughs> Please. Uh, as Octavia and Kane yell at each other, he starts coughing and goes into shock and flatlines. Nyla and Octavia think Kane is dead, but Abby refuses to accept it. Since they have no more algae to put Kane back in surgery, she puts Kane in cryo sleep instead. Abby then finds the pain pills in her bag and, after considering it, gives them to Raven to hold on to. I think it's interesting that even though they were like fighting, like really fighting that like the second that Kane needs help like Octavia was there in an instant to support him like she like literally holds him up I was actually surprised by that because then she immediately like backs off and like won't help Abby at all so it was like this weird well I think duality exactly I think it's exactly that I think there is a really primal piece of her that instinct instinct that is good and then once she starts thinking about it she chooses (laughs) to do bad yes I love that idea sure she like her first instinct is to be good and to help people but all the trauma in her life and the baggage like really she chooses to let it control her and I that was like a perfect example yeah I love that interpretation um yeah yeah uh, what else did I want to say in this episode? In this I mean, scene? you go and play Stay Odin. Oh, she yeah. Like, she was like so ready to read yeah. him his rights. <laughs> Peace, Kane. Bye. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned a little earlier this episode, we know that this is happening because Henry and Cusick is on a different show. And, and we kind of questioned at the end of last season what they were going to do with him, if they were going to keep him in cryo sleep for a while this season or, or what was going to happen um, just because he can't film some of this season um and we got our our answer they took him out of cryo sleep and then shoved him back in so yeah, i am confused why they took him out of cryo at all like i don't i mean like i guess it was just just to have, to this, have scene, this scene which was so cathartic for me it was really just for me i think yeah, that's what they did it i'm for. fine with that if that's the only reason but i'm also wondering if it has something to do with the algae and the fact that like i don't know I don't know. Like, honestly, if I had my druthers, Kane would have died instead of Shaw. Like, I would I would trade Kane for Shaw. I think Shaw had 
a lot of potential that he could still fulfill. I where agree. I think Kane is just like beating a dead horse. We at have this run point. its course with Kane. I agree. But unfortunately, the writers do not consult me, even though they should, because I would be great at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like seeing Abby acknowledge her weakness when it comes to the pills, though, and her like realizing I am not ready to hold on to these myself. Yep. And I love that she gives them to Raven yeah. to be. Because she knows Raven out of anyone is not going to give her that. And it's also <laughs> like, it. uh, it's another way of apologizing. Like, you were right. Yeah. I was wrong. I am not in control. And I trust you. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a way of expressing trust. Yeah. That I think is important to establish in their relationship moving forward. Agreed. Um, I, I am wondering, though, like, how much of this addiction plot line will continue throughout this season? Like, do we think this is, like, the, the end of it? Do we think this is going to keep going? Like... I think for the purposes of this show, this will be the end of it, Um, or at least, like, basically the end of it. We might have a couple of callbacks, Mm -hmm. but I think in real life, you don't get over addiction in that way. I I mostly mean, like, what are we seeing, like, televised? But, yeah, I think the show is more interested in moving on from this. I hope so. Which I I hope so, I am also ready to move on from this. Amori's head is hurting as she tries to pick the lock to the castle. Murphy breaks into song and tries to get her to dance with him, but she pushes him off. Everyone else watches in amusement as Murphy belts out the song. Echo and Bellamy are on the swing set, and Clark watches Bellamy as he tries to contact Raven on the radio. Then she walks away. Echo notes that this town is too well kept for it to be deserted, and Bellamy doesn't know where the people are, but if they are gone, that means there's room for everyone on the ship here. I just love how much Jason Rothenberg loves Richard Harmon. Like, this scene was a treasure, and Murphy gets hotter and more attractive every season. Like, this was just such a, like, like they, it was so unnecessary, yeah. so gratuitous and unnecessary, but wonderful. I mean, I don't want to say, like, white men loving white men, because it is true, but Richard Harmon really does, like, his acting is so incredible, and he's just so... He is excellent. He's so... He, is so understanding of who Murphy is at his core and he plays him so well and it's like he's so lovable and yet you still want to kick his ass all the time it's just like a great line that he walks and I just this scene it was so unnecessary and yet so wonderful yeah like it was a gift it was a gift to us and I loved every second of it it was as close to a musical episode as the show will ever have <laughs> yeah that's probably true um I really appreciate that the show is this is the first example of the show taking the time to give us these like super human moments. You know, it's not plot driven. They don't do anything for the plot, but it is completely devoted to character and character development. And I, you know, this was something that was sorely missed last season, which we've talked about. And I just, it is like, it feels like we're getting to the finish line of everything that we were driving forward to last season that we was like on hyperspeed. Yeah. And we were getting to this place and I, this is this is the show that I want to see. Yes. I want to see. I want to have these tiny human moments of reflection, of them being people. Yeah. You know, not being plot devices. Yeah. And you know, puzzle pieces to move around the board and how to get to the finish line. I want to see them as real people living in the moment. Like, what would this feel like? I I don't know how many times we've said this. It's probably been like a thousand. But that. I truly believe is why people love this show. It's not the plots. It's the characters. And we want to see more of those character interactions. Yeah. Like if you just take a second and think about it, like if you had overcome all of the things that you had overcome, you show up on this new moon. There is a Disneyland society that is empty of people. What would you, what would you feel like? What would you do? There's nothing to do. You, you know, 
you would literally be sitting on a playground like fucking around like this is it and it just felt so authentic Mm -hmm. and human to me and I loved I loved it yeah I I really did love the quiet moment for Echo and Bellamy to just kind of be with themselves and be on the swing set they have a swing set they do I love a swing set playground (laughs) and of course we have Clark watching Bellamy and and obviously flashing back to her calling him on the radio and not being able to connect to him in the same way that he can't connect to Raven and it's just it's a nice little callback there yeah it's all it's all working together in tandem (laughs) Uh, Clark walks into a schoolroom and Bellamy follows her and they lament about how Maddie and Octavia never got to go to school. Bellamy notes that he's had no luck with the radio, which Clark says she knows the feeling. Bellamy then apologizes that he couldn't answer her all those years. Clark realizing that Maddie told... <laughs> Britt just put her hand on her heart, guys. <laughs> so, I, never... I wish you could see it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm emotional. <laughs> Clark realizes that Maddie told Bellamy she calls him every day and told him that Maddie thought it was crazy, but it kept her sane. Bellamy says it's not crazy, although maybe pathetic, and they share a laugh and humor. then Clark leaves. More humor. <laughs> Bellamy picks up a book she was reading called Red Sun Rising, which is by Josephine Lightborn. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so first thing in the scene before we get to the real meat, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is a sign on the wall that says, are all for the glory and grace of the primes. And then there's like a bunch of photos there. At the top of the photos, there's like, the Lightborn family photos, mm-hmm. like they're at the top of the wall. Um, I'm assuming these, the primes are like the first Allegius settlers, but I, I'm just so curious about yeah. like how the Lightborns play into that. It's also like they do seem to be like more revered than anyone else. It's a really weird phrase. Like it's are mm-hmm. all in glory for or are all for the glory. Oh, that's what's weird for the glory and grace of the primes. The glory. What yeah. does that mean? I don't know. And it's like again this like weird culty vibe. Yeah. Where it's this they're like imbuing these what we normally reserve for like a god. You know these like holy yeah only holy words glory and grace yeah and, and like we're ascribing them to people. Um. Which is always, I'm very suspicious of. So, <laughs> I mean, it could just be them being like, ah, oh, these were the first people who settled and they created this wonderful world for us. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I'm assuming that there's going to be more to the story. Yeah, yeah agreed. <laughs> uh, also, just to note, there is a restraint bolted to the wall here, as well as in the shrine earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of looks like something you'd find in, like, an insane asylum in a horror movie you know yeah. what i mean so emergency shackles yeah that's it's just interesting interesting that it's there yeah. yep. <laughs> not sure what it's for but we will find out <laughs> okay so let's get into this bell arc of it all mm-hmm. um i wanted to call out because i think it is a really it's a rare moment when bellamy displays more control than clark and i think <laughs> in this moment he has completely caught her off guard and for the rest of the scene, she doesn't really regain control. Oh, yeah. There was, like, you could almost hear the alarm bells going oh, off in yeah. Clark's head. You know, and, and, I, and I think, like we were saying earlier, like, Bellamy has really, really warm and very, like, placid to her. Mm-hmm. Because I think he's been thinking about this a lot and figuring out the best way to deploy it. Like, he's had a lot of time to consider Maddie's words. And how to bring it up to Clark but she had no idea no so I think it's a really really interesting thing because like between the two of them Bellamy is usually the more emotional one yeah and Clark is although not last season not last season but but it's just it was really it was really good (laughs) real good 
I mean, I'm also thrilled to know that they are going to have to talk about these calls again because, you know, we heard the line in the trailer um, about Bellamy being like, oh, you left me in the fighting pits to die, but you called me every day. And I like can't wait for that conversation. Um, but I, I like that they're going to kind of like ease their way. Into yeah, it. we're going to do this in pieces. And I just want to call out also, you know, there's these two characters these two actors I should say they just have so much chemistry and I don't even mean that in a romantic sense I mean there there that definitely exists there's no denying it even though the writers refuse to acknowledge it (laughs) um but I'm just talking purely like there is tension happening and these like two characters they have so much to work through and I think that both Bob and Eliza bring all of that to this scene in such a exceptional way um they are so good and they are so good together and i i love i love when they're both on screen i mean they're just like best they are the heart of the show they are clark and bellamy in whatever way they happen to be at the time they're just like that's where the show really gets you is their relationship which is just so deep and so layered and so complex yeah i mean i think they are the center of gravity for the show and everything kind of rotates around them yeah um, so yeah, this was a great start. Clearly not done. <laughs> Lot to unpack, but it's only episode but one. Again, so we have time. Yep. <laughs> Bellamy follows Clark out and calls Echo over, and then he reads from Red Sun Rising. When the stars align and the forest wakes, it's time to run away. <laughs> not great lines. Sweet <laughs> bedtime story. <laughs> um, at those words, the eclipse happens, and Clark realizes the book isn't a nursery rhyme; it's a warning. Murphy suddenly sees their hi- their dropship being hijacked, and as they yell after it, Amori attacks Murphy with her knife, seemingly out of her mind. Clark, seeing Amori's behavior and reading the rest of the book, figures out that there is a toxin in the air. Yeah, so we were very wrong. Yeah, we were. We were convinced that this all had to do with radiation and, you know, the radiation poisoning and all of this stuff. And guess what, guys? It's the evil plants. The plants. The, the plants evil plants are toxic. <laughs> It's nothing to do with radiation at all. So good job, show. Well, yeah, I like that they like subverted my expectations. Yeah, no, they keep us on our toes. This I is what it. I wanted last season that didn't happen. All my expectations just seem to occur. Yeah, no, it's great. I love when we're wrong. Um, so a couple of questions. Who the hell is Josephine Lightborn? She's up on walls. She's on shrines. She's writing books. And she looks weirdly like Clark. Could she be <clears throat> Clark's descendant or Clark's ancestor? Crackpot theory of this season. I, I just think that would be so cool. It would be really cool. I, I would be totally down with that. <laughs> and then second thing, who the hell is stealing their ship? <laughs> yeah, guess what, guys? We're not alone. Are they just, like, stealing their ship to go up to the dropship? I mean, it looks like Maybe they're like just, it. like, going to make first contact. <laughs> Maybe they didn't. They were like, this ship is abandoned. There must be another ship up there. <laughs> I, it was very strange. I don't guess know. Guess we'll find out. We're going to have to find out soon. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our recap. We have a few things we want to talk about um, just on the episode overall. Um, so first of all, let's talk about the rest of the season. Yeah. Who who do we – we have some predictions here. A few. A few. Who do we think is going to die? For me, I actually feel like this season – I don't know if it'll have another major death. I think that – maybe Zeke dying or sorry Shaw dying (laughs) at the beginning of this season will kind of lead to a less death packed season overall I certainly hope so I mean we don't have that many people left um so I think if they do kill a character 
I mean, we already got, we already killed one, like you said. I think it's going to have to be a very calculated decision. And mm-hmm. I just don't think we have the body numbers that we used to have <laughs> to support that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think I'm hoping that it's going to be not as many. Well, I mean, I also think given like what they say about this season being more hopeful, yeah. that maybe part of that hope is like, oh, look, we're not actually going to kill half of our characters this season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. To be fair, last season they didn't kill, I mean, aside from like Harper and Monty, but they didn't, they weren't killed. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I don't know. We've had like a little bit of a break, right? Am I, am I like forgetting something? Well, I think we, there was a lot of death. There was a lot of like, like red shirt yeah. death, but yeah. who cares about those? Yeah. I like, I'm fine with a lot of red shirt death this season, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't have many red shirts left is my point. No, I'm, we have like, we have a whole society we're walking into. Well, yeah. Okay, fine. Then. <laughs> um, I did want to bring up one thing, which I'm not sure about, but there has been some rumors that we'll lose Raven slash Lindsay Morgan um, in this season. Personally, I'm not sure if I believe that's even true. Um, but if it is true, I don't think they're going to kill her, especially given what Zeke said about like Raven deserves happiness. If she does, if she's like choosing to leave the show, I think it will be in a good way. In the same way that like a Montine Harper thing happened where she's like choosing to leave this life of like violence and drama and just go be happy somewhere. Yep. I, I hope so, but I really don't want to believe that she's leaving the show. I don't think so. And it's just like a, one of those wild rumors that, I thought it got me a little bit more than other rumors usually does, just like given the circumstances of the rumor. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. I really, but just don't be shocked if it. I does. really hope not. Yeah. Um. Another one that I think is a possibility that I really don't want to happen, but I think is a possibility, is Dioza dying at the end of the season or by the end of the season. To be clear. I love her. I don't want her to die. I never want her to leave the show. But I do think that she's been, you know, once she delivers the baby, she's had that pregnancy plot armor for a while. Um, and I just don't, I just don't know what's going to happen once that plot armor goes away. So I mean, I still think it's crazy that she didn't just like stay awake, have her baby, but the baby in cryo sleep, her in cryo sleep. That would have solved so many problems for this show. Because, like, what are we going to do with a baby, you know? I don't know. I So, I don't know. I, I mean, if if Dioza dies, I will be devastated. Because I thought she was going to die last season, but then she didn't. And I was like, oh, my God. My world has just opened up. Yeah. And I can't, I can't lose her again. I can't feel that way again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I am. I mean, like, no one is safe on this show mm-hmm. except for a very, very fair few. So. Uh, yeah, one of those few, I think, is Kane. I think because they put <laughs> Kane in cryo, I think he will ultimately survive this season, which, yep. you know, yeah, but I'm sure like, some people are happy about. <laughs> I have, like, neutral thoughts about this, you know. I'm glad that I don't have to keep listening to him say, you know, we did what we had to do to survive. Um, but I also am like, it's fine if they want to keep him in cryo. I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't care if he's in cryo. I would rather him be dead. But I do think that, I guess at least Abby's, you know, got some hope. <laughs> if if they took Kane away from her, I don't know if she'd yeah, be I think able for to recover. Abby's emotional state, it's worth it. Yeah. Um okay, so other things we want to talk about. Um what are our like most anticipated things happening this season? I mean, you know, like for me, I'm really excited about Clark and Murphy, uh, which I have coined Team Cockroach. Love it. Yeah. Um, really excited for it. I think they are just, they shine together in every scene they're in. 
And that's one pairing that we have not seen nearly enough of. I agree. So 100%. I also, for me personally, I'm very, I mean, I'm always very excited about Clark and Bellamy, but I'm also excited about Clark and Echo. And I'm also excited about Bellamy and Echo. And I'm excited about all three of them as like a trio and what that does, how each of their relationships to each other affects the other relationships to each other. This triangle is really interesting to me and I cannot believe I'm saying this because I was so against it at the beginning, but now I really am enjoying it a lot. Like guys, I'm like team, team, all three of them. Yeah. They can all just like be together I just, and I'd like, be into that. I, but like you were saying, I want Echo to have somebody who is as emotionally That's into, true. It, into yeah. it with her as she is with Bellamy and I don't know if he is. So yeah. I want I want all the best things for I do Echo. too. And I, I just don't think that's possible when Clark exists. So that's there. I, I agree. <laughs> um, also, the Lightborns. I'm oh. very excited for the Lightborn of characters. Course, of course. And we know now that Russell is a Lightborn because the latest trailer that was released basically called out his name as Russell Lightborn. I know. I love it. And so, like, is this, like the ruling ha, are they like royalty have they been like the ruling family through the last 200 years i mean that's the vibe i've been getting that's shocking to me because royalty is ridiculous and not logical at all no it's not maybe though maybe it was just like they have like all of the the families of the original primes are like very um exalted yeah and so like they choose their leader among those maybe it's like an oligarchy co- kind of thing i don't know We're, we'll find out but no <laughs> but it is gonna be super fascinating um and then also just one more i am signed the fuck up for octavia and dioza to go on you know whatever fun missions they're gonna go on because i heard they're gonna be together this season and they're just gonna be great and i'm i can't wait oh my god it's gonna be so great <laughs> i cannot wait for therapy sessions all yes. the way through <laughs> Oh, so necessary. It's like therapy on the go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mobile therapy. <Yeah. laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about our favorite line of this episode. What was yours? Uh, mine was yours too, Murphy, because clap back, Clark. But you have to say it in the way that she said it, which is like, yours, yours too, too, Murphy. Murphy. <laughs> That's the only way you can say that line. I just, I loved it so much, but, and I hope this continues Because this y- you need that. You the, need the, that like anger. Ir- yeah, you need that the irrit- it's, it's like the irritation of like how dare. <laughs> yeah. You you need the like resentment yeah. in order to like fully understand <laughs> why that line is so good. Um, uh, what about yours? Mine was the, the one that Echo says to Bellamy, which is there's no starting over without forgiveness. I just this is such a powerful idea um in show universe and out of show universe. I think this is something that we all need. You know, it's like every once in a while the show uses a bit character as like a mouthpiece mm-hmm. and I can just feel the writers like speaking directly to the viewer and I just it it's a beautiful sentiment yeah it is a really powerful thing to think about and I implore you all to think about it and apply it daily and hopefully that's just like um a larger idea of what the season is going to be is just forgiveness yeah forgiveness for yourself forgiveness for others yep yeah I love it what was your favorite scene Obviously, my favorite scene was Octavia and Kane verbally attacking each other. <laughs> Loved it so much. <laughs> so good. So cathartic. It was. There's a massive catharsis happening there. What about yours? Mine was the last scene with Bellamy and Clark because... Shocker. I, I mean, like, duh. I, I don't know if I need to really, like, harp on this, yeah. but it was... Because it was lovely. It was beautiful and lovely. And I... I and I, Clark was so flustered. She it was. was. very cute. It, it was... I just... I love seeing Clark off her, off her game. Yeah. And I love that Bellamy is the one to put her off her yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so let's move on to the next episode preview. Although just to note, this episode was called Sanctum, but we don't actually know what Sanctum is yet. Like the word Sanctum was not used in this episode. That's true. So fascinating. Yeah. Still up in the air there. I wonder if they like named it this before they had written the episode and then we were just like, I really like this. Maybe. I guess. Or maybe they were like, you know, this looks like a Sanctum. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. Yeah. And it's not like a hard word to, to figure out the meaning of. So. No, no, no. But I'm just, I, I'm wondering if this is like they named the episode before they wrote it. And yeah. they were just like, they want to keep it. I don't know. Uh, so the next episode is 602, Red Sun Rising. In this episode, the team on the ground fights to survive the threat they face on the new planet. Meanwhile, Raven must join forces with an unlikely ally to save everyone on board the mothership. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I think that this next episode will also be a lot of what we've seen in the trailer. And then maybe past that, we won't we won't know too much about yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, from this description, it does sound like the drop the people who stole the dropship are going to the mothership. Yeah. Um, for purposes. For stuff. <laughs> I don't know what that could be. Um, Unless Raven is joining forces with them. <laughs> maybe. Unlikely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, okay, so that is our episode. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at skycast, and you can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is the final... Oh. That's not the that final episode. It's not the final episode. <laughs> Whoops, forgot to change those show notes. It's was, the first episode. It's the first episode <laughs> of season six, you guys. Um, so we'll be back next week, hopefully on time. No guarantees with my crazy schedule, but God we will willing, do our best we will do our to best get it, and get it out ASAP. As soon as humanly possible. <laughs> All right, guys. Till next time. May we meet again. Bye.